0: So basically, Victoria Argent is the Ed Gein
1: of
2: Of Beacon Hills, Hills,
1: is what I'm trying to get (laughs) at here. What do they call it, the bromaps.
2: Stop trying to make Bigfoots happen, (laughs) Will. It's never going
3: to happen. Sometimes this is just the Dylan O'Brien appreciation podcast. Keep it in your pants, Will. (laughs) Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Free Watch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Clissa Mollis, and I'm joined by Kate Colvin.
0: And Will Wallace.
3: Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit TV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season one, episode five, The Tell. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, alpha and beta. The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast, as well as on Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to beaconhills at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our wolfy patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes full moon amas the beacon hills movie club where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of teen wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party so head on over to patreon.com rtbh podcast and join the pack
0: in this week's episode the tell written by monica Mazer and directed by toby wilkins jackson and lydia are attacked by the alpha at a video store Scott and Allison ditch school to celebrate her birthday, while Stiles visits Lydia and discovers that she caught the alpha with her cell phone camera. After a disastrous night of parent-teacher conferences, a mountain lion attacks in the Beacon Hills High School parking lot, only to be killed by Chris Argent.
2: Our favorite quote for this episode is Lydia Martin saying, What the hell is a Stiles? We also have a couple of honorable mentions, and they are both conversations between Coach Finstock and Sheriff Stalinski at a parent teacher conference.
3: Coach says, So, Stiles, great kid, zero ability to focus, super smart, never takes advantage of his talents. Sheriff Stalinski says, What do you mean? Well, for his final question on his midterm exam, he detailed the entire history of the male circumcision. Well, I mean, it does have historical significance, right? I mean, I teach economics. Oh, crap. The next conversation begins with, Coach Finstock saying, Styles, that's right. I thought Styles was his last name. His last name is Stalinsky. You named your kid Styles Stalinsky? No, that's just what he likes to be called. Oh, well, I like to be called Cupcake. What is his first name? And the sheriff shows him what Styles' real first name is. And Finstock says, Wow, that's a form of child abuse. I don't even know how to pronounce that. The episode begins with. Lydia and Jackson arguing about what they're going to rent, and Lydia wins with them wanting to rent the notebook yet again, so Jackson goes into the video store only to be attacked by the alpha, and the video store clerk is murdered. The alpha notices the claw marks on the back of Jackson's neck before fleeing.
2: I have a question about this
3: scene. The video store where
2: they're renting the movie, its name is the numeral two, and then a star symbol and then the letter C, and I, I keep thinking it's gonna mean something, and I, I keep saying it in my head like two star C. What it it seems like it should be like a like a rebus puzzle or something, and I can't I cannot figure it out. What what does two star C mean? I no have one no
0: knows. idea, no <laughs> idea. And it, and it's one of those things where like if you watch the episode, it's not like it's a visual effect. That's like there on the building. And it's just like, and
2: on the inside
3: too.
0: Yeah. And on the, it's just like, what I, what is this? And I Googled, it. I Googled Teen Wolf Video Store Two Star C and I didn't get anything. And I'm just like, what, what is this? Like, I mean, clearly this was a location outside of Atlanta. So I mean, like, what was this video store? I feel like at least the Two Star C should show up in a Google search, right? Because it was a real place. You know, we didn't, I don't think we dressed all of that. And if we did, I mean, we clearly didn't spend the money to put those letters up on the side of that building. So it's just like, what the hell
3: is the name of this place? I think you should offer a signed Teen Wolf script to anyone who can give you the answer to that. Like, do you just sign one of the runs you wrote?
2: Oh,
0: I like that. Yes. Yes. Let's put a bounty on this. (laughs) Whoever can, whoever emails us or tweets at us or finds us on Instagram with the actual name of this place. I will send or you or story
3: behind if the name's just two right. star C or the, the story, story or, 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 or yeah, yes.
0: Yes. If the name is actually two star C, what does that mean? <laughs> and tell us where it is. And maybe some picture confirmation would be great too. But I will send you receipts. an yes, receipts. I will send you an autographed copy of one of the scripts I wrote. So all you internet sleuths out there get to
2: get cracking. and
0: sleep <laughs> the shit out of it. But yes, this is a great scene. It's fantastic. I love the way it starts with Lydia and Jackson in the car and Jackson is trying to convince Lydia that they should watch Hoosiers because apparently it's a great film. And Lydia's whole, her responses to the entire scene are just no, like she doesn't even have like rebuttals. to She's just like, Nope, no, Mm, no, no. How about that? And it's fantastic. And then of course, because Jackson is a dutiful boyfriend, he goes inside to find another copy of the notebook. To watch they should just buy
3: it at this point. Just buy it, Lydia. Buy it at this point. Yeah. Also, Kate and I are actual Hoosiers that have never watched the movie Hoosiers. I've
0: never seen it either.
3: I feel like I feel like I saw it in class once. Oh. I feel I'm a like Hoosier I a- who has never watched Hoosiers. <laughs> uh,
0: inside the video store, Jackson finds a body. There's an incident with the alpha. It's really well done. Jackson goes to hide behind. The, one of the shelving units that has all the movies, and over his shoulder you can see Let the Right One In, which is a fantastic movie based on a fantastic book. And actually, fun fact: Jeff Davis developed Let the Right One In as a TV show that sadly didn't go to series, but um, it would have been really awesome.
3: I would have loved to have seen that.
0: It would have been. He had so many great ideas for it. It would have been so good. The script was great.
3: Just and I'd love to. It. He did a great job with werewolves. I'd love to see him tackle vampires. He had I know, some really I was just cool say, ideas. It'd be so interesting if he had moved. From werewolves to vampires.
0: Then after that, he could have done Bigfoot's, and no, Will, Bigfoot. it would have been it's never awesome. Never
2: going to happen. No one, quit, stop trying to make Bigfoot's <laughs> happen, Will. It's never going to happen.
0: Bigfoot's a thing. I'm going to make it a thing. But
3: See, he doesn't even understand that reference. I get the reference. I haven't Sad. seen the
0: movie, but I've seen the GIF.
3: So Jackson's trapped under one of the shelves has solid, and it seems like the alpha is going to attack him in some way. He sees the claw marks that have been made by Derek in a previous episode and seemingly backs off because of that. I don't know. Maybe it just means that Jackson was already claimed, so to speak, like, by a He's like, oh, this one's taken. Well, do you have any uh, idea why the mark was glowing? Because they don't glow in any other scenes.
0: No, they don't glow in any other scenes. And Kate and I discussed this a little bit the other night when we were watching. I think it seems like the only thing that makes sense to us Is that that's like a visual representation of the alpha's senses, you know, like like his uh, like what he's smelling, and so that's maybe what it is. I love the glowing; it looks fantastic.
2: It looks great. It
0: it looks so cool. I'm not
2: sure what's happening with it, right? Yeah, in in story, but I do. I hadn't really thought of that until you said that, Will, when we were watching it. Like, what if it's just a visual representation of a non-audiovisual sense? Yeah maybe not even one of the five senses but like an extra you know werewolfy sense you know where he's picking up on something that we're not picking up on which I really love and I think it would have been really cool to have like a Teen Wolf video game where it's like a choices matter dialogue tree type mystery game where you have to gain the trust of different characters and you do that by figuring out what their emotional state is and choosing your dialogue accordingly. And, and the emotional states would be represented visually the way the wound is glowing here. Basically, I, I wanna I wanna play like a Life is strange Beacon Hills edition.
3: So Styles is enjoying a fast food dinner with his dad in the squad car when the call comes in about the video store. Now I love this, not just because Dylan O'Brien is so amazing with the curly fries falling out of his mouth as he's speaking he's just like who taught that boy how to eat
0: he doesn't know how to eat food like a human being he grazes <laughs> I, mean, I
3: just feel like he is you know, he's always moving. He always wanting to do something. He just has so much energy. I just feel like he shovels it all in so he doesn't have to just keep wasting time eating. He can just move on to do something else.
2: I imagine that all of Styles' baby pictures are blurry. Yeah, that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah. Like, the, like, you know, there'd be a picture of, like, the sheriff holding him, at, but there's just, like, a, a, a baby-shaped blur. <laughs> and then, like, toddler Styles would be like, it's a Halloween costume. And he'd be, like, dressed as baby Batman, but it's just a Batman-shaped blur. Oh.
0: And then Mama Stolinski's in the background, barely laughing.
3: I love that Styles has memorized the code for murder. And well, my guess is that he's memorized all of the codes so that he can st- distinguish the cool calls from the boring ones.
2: Yeah, <laughs> totally.
3: And I love in this scene, Styles is trying to keep the curly fries from his father because he wants his father to eat healthy. And I'm assuming he has high cholesterol or something. And so he makes a joke about it. And I love Dylan O'Brien does this delivery with a lot of the Stiles lines where Styles says something funny. And you can just tell the character is so pleased with himself about what he's mm-hmm. just said. And I just think that's another thing that makes Styles one of the most relatable characters. I would love to know how many takes of this they had to do and how many curly fries Phil and O'Brien had to like spit out during oh, the course of filming. A lot, I bet. Because Yeah, for,
2: for continuity, if he starts eating a fry, like he's committed to that
3: now. I remember reading Tyler Hecklin doing like the interview and he was talking about Road to Petition and how there's like a scene where he's eating pie, I want to say it is. And, you know, being a young child, so he's like, pie, this is awesome. I'm going to take a huge bite every time because... Who gets sick of pie? And then he was very sick of it by the end of it. Like, 19 takes crazy. later. It was a very cute story. As the body is wheeled out of the crime scene, Scott and Derek watch from the rooftop, which has been marked by yet another spiral. Yeah,
2: I love that spiral. I love that shot, how it sort of slowly starts growing and the music swells. It looks great. What I want to know is, how was it actually marked? It, it, it almost looks like light being projected. So I couldn't figure out
3: what they were saying the Alpha actually did. And it definitely seems like Scott and Derek don't see it while they're up there.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like this is just another like visual image like of when they had the spiral coming out from Laura Hale's body and how they made mm-hmm. it glow just to really kind of emphasize that it was right. there. But that one at least had like, there was an actual spiral that he was pulling out of the ground. So right, there was something to right, exactly. follow, but there's nothing there, there, there. That was
2: That was more just them drawing attention to... A physical spiral that is present. They're just sort yeah. of playing up the visuals of it yeah. a little bit. but i I wasn't clear on what it actually was this time. I mean, it it, it looks great. I'm not mad at it, but I, yeah. I was sitting there like, what what are we what am I looking at right now? It's werewolf P. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> he, just, he just like now. I'm just picturing him like in his shifted form, like walking in a spiral. <laughs> in
0: He's just like waddling. Like this is awkward, but I'm already committed. Oh, what have I done? <laughs> I made a horrible mistake.
2: <laughs> then then just like right after uh, it cuts. It's it's Derek kind of stops. And Scott's like, "What?" Derek's like, "Nothing." <laughs> and they walk away. <laughs>
0: Sounds was like a lot of piss up here.
2: <laughs> oh. oh my
0: God. But this Wait, is the... I
2: have, I've actually been to California and it wouldn't be that crazy. No,
0: it wouldn't. It would not. But <laughs> this scene with Scott and Derek looking down on the crime scene and all that. This is the first of many rooftop scenes on this I series. I, I honestly feel like it's like, hey, we have to do some exposition, put it on a roof. And they were it not subtle about it
2: at they all. They were just, not. just like hanging out up there. They're like oh, 90
0: they're like 9 feet off the ground. Like they're not even high. They're just like, I mean, all somebody has to do is like out of the corner of their eye see some movement yeah. and be like, "Sheriff looks at him, she look, be like, what the f- are you'll doing up there?" It just leads to more arguing from Scott and Derek, right?
2: Yeah. Scott and Derek are arguing because Derek wants Scott to focus on preparing for the upcoming full moon to make sure, first of all, that he doesn't lose control and hurt someone, to make sure that he doesn't lose control and accidentally out himself to the hunters, and also to figure out what's going on with the Alpha before then so that the Alpha can't try to hurt Scott or get Scott to hurt someone else. So Derek wants Scott to help him find the Alpha and generally focus on the life or death issues related to him being a werewolf now. But Scott is still very much caught up with wanting to be a normal teenager, focused on getting his grades up and graduating high school. And Derek is trying to give Scott a little shorthand, so to speak, way to keep from wolfing out. And that way is by hurting himself. So Derek breaks Scott's hand to show him that pain is what keeps him human
0: it's very good i love you know, scott's like oh god he's on the ground and derek's just like it'll heal you know he's just like he's just like calm down but i do love like when they you can't why am i holding up my hand because this is a podcast but like it just how like they show is like because it's not even like an effect or anything but just the way he holds his hand and like straightens his fingers to show like that it's it's coming back together and all that. I thought it was very effective because it's just just sound effects, you know, just little Mm -hmm, pops and stuff like that. It was very effective.
3: I find Scott very frustrating in the scene yet again because there's so much going on and he's just still worried about chemistry. They just saw a dead body being wheeled out of a video store. Yeah. And he's like, but I'm feeling chemistry.
2: And... Derek's frustration with Scott in this scene is kind of funny to me because he's like, oh, do you want to graduate high school or not die? And Scott has a really hard time with that because those are not things that he wants to choose between, understandably. But I just feel like, I mean, Derek didn't graduate high school, so I'm not sure why he thinks that this argument is going to get through to Derek. Yeah. Especially in this scene, it makes it really clear that when Derek talks, Scott is listening about 20% of the time because he's like, Oh, you know, Derek, I know that you're you've been telling me that the alpha wants to make me his pet or whatever. And Derek is like, What? No, I said he wants you to be in his pack. Those are two different words <laughs> that both just happen to start with P and you're not listening to what I'm telling you at all. Yeah, I, I,
0: I, the frustration with Scott is there. I mean, clearly it is, you know, and, and I feel like that's kind of the point, a little bit, um, just to show make us frustrated the way Derek's frustrated. But I, I also get it. I mean, he's just a kid, and yeah, granted, he's been shown the impossible. But I mean, like, it, it, like if that if that was us, like if any one of us were in this situation, I mean, we wouldn't automatically our worldview wouldn't automatically change, you know, just because. I mean, that's just how not how human beings react to stuff you know Scott's still trying to hold on to normalcy you know and Derek is is trying to be like that that's gone like those days are gone this is a whole new world and you need to get with the program because there's a big old monster out there and he wants you to be in his pack not his pet you idiot (laughs) and and he's gonna either kill you or make you kill to be a part of it you know like this is this is super serious. And it is serious. But again, you're still dealing with a kid, you know? So I, I feel like it is, it is understandable that Scott's still thinking about chemistry and Allison.
3: Well, chemistry. yeah, I was going to say, he,
0: he
2: says he really cares about chemistry. I don't buy it.
0: No, no.
2: <laughs> and we see that in like one scene later, like one scene after talking about I'm failing chemistry and I really need to focus on it and bring up my grades and graduate high school. And one scene later, he's like, I'm going to skip it.
0: (laughs) Yes, he, he does later on in the episode when he's like, oh, Allison, let's get out of here. He he forgets that very fast.
2: It's like one scene later. It (laughs) is. Because of her dimples.
0: I know. Scott is very much like he is focused on what's in front of him. Yeah. You know, so when he's talking to Derek, he's like, no, I need to, I need to pass chemistry and graduate. But then the moment Allison shows up, he's like, no, I need Allison. You know, so it's just whatever is happening right in front of him. That's where his focus is.
3: So before Allison heads off to school, though, as an apology for confronting Scott after the dinner. Kate gives Allison her birthday present early and it's a necklace, an Argent family heirloom with a werewolf in the middle of the pendant. Kate tells Allison she should research the image if she ever wants to learn more about her family history.
2: Yeah, but I I do like that this brings up more questions about the Argent family because we know that they're hunters, but we don't know how that came about. You know, did her parents find out about it and just become werewolf hunters we don't really know, but the gift of the necklace implies that there's a lot more story there. And so that that really piqued my interest.
0: There's a legacy, maybe, if you right. will, because I mean, heirlooms are like feel like that's part of a legacy or right. something. So it's it. I'm very curious to see where this is going to go because you right. don't just bandy those things about, you know? So it, it feels like this is kind of, this is important.
3: It's a very Kate thing to do. She knows Chris doesn't want Allison to know yet. So she just kind of like teases it. She gives her the necklace. It's like, oh, you can just like look this up on your own. She wants Allison to find her way to the truth without Kate actually being the one blamed for telling her. Right.
2: right. It get, kind of gives her plausible deniability. Like, oh, I just gave Allison the necklace for her birthday. How could I know that she was going to be so successful at looking up her family history?
3: Very manipulative. Yeah. Kind Classic Kate. Workaround. really. Also just a bit of annoying sibling thing. I feel like every so often you can just see that between Chris and Kate. And <laughs> I like that dynamic where she's a monster. But also sometimes she just seems to do stuff just to slightly irritate her brother. Like she said, that kid, whenever they were younger, being like, Mom, she's touching me. She's like, No, I'm just touching next to you. I'm not quite touching you yet. Yeah, and she's like like
0: poking around him with a knife or something. It's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you.
3: Yeah, that
2: that was Kate's version of that game. <laughs> his yeah. like, he had his hand on the table and she's doing that
3: knife thing between the fingers <laughs> like an yeah. alien. <laughs> like-
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: So what happens whenever Allison gets to school, Will?
0: Oh, she goes to her locker and opens it up and all these uh, birthday balloons pop out. But instead of being like super happy about it or or at least excited, you know, like you might be if you find birthday balloons in your locker, she kind of freaks out a little bit and shoves them all back into her locker. And Scott shows up and he's like, hey, what's going on? It's your birthday? And she's like, yeah, but I didn't want anybody to know. And Scott asks, you know, why didn't you want anyone to know that it's your birthday? And Allison admits that, She's 17 now, and Scott puts it together that because she jumped around different schools all the time, because her family's always moving, that you know she she fell behind because she was never having like full years at these schools. So she fell behind, and then whenever people found out how old she was, they would be like, "What are you stupid?" or something like that, or did you get knocked up and you had to take a year off for the kid and all that? And Alice is actually impressed that Scott figured it out and didn't like jump to any kind of conclusion. From it, that he just put it together. That hey, I know your family travels a lot, and that you're older than maybe you would be normally under normal circumstances in this grade, and that must be what it is. Not that you're stupid or something. It's just your family moves a lot, and it affects how
3: you're schooled.
2: This is a great moment between them, and it really shows that Scott Scott isn't stupid. No, right? You know he 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 can be really smart when he applies himself, but he is just someone who tends to be really focused on one thing yeah. and, and apply all his attention to one thing. And his relationship with Allison is that one thing for a big part of the show. And so yeah. he can be very perceptive when it comes to Allison, but that creates blind spots yeah. for him. That he's hyper focused on her, you know, which makes sense because she grounds him Mm -hmm. you know she she helps him feel more calm and even keeled which i guess we see more so um in the next episode heart monitor
0: you're right because i mean we've talked about scott before he's kind of like this lovable doofus and all this and he is he is but he's not stupid But I do think that there are times when his, maybe this is spoilery, but maybe his naivete gets the better of him and he doesn't make smart decisions just because of how he believes the world can work or does work. It's not that he's stupid. He's not dumb. He's just under incredible stress. One being a teenager and two being a werewolf, but he just, he has a set of beliefs that don't really lead him to correct, you can't see me making air quotes, correct decision-making.
2: I, I think there's a little confirmation bias there, you know? Yes. Like, I believe yes. that the Argents are decent people. I have received new data that the Argents are responsible for murdering a bunch of people. I will then conclude that they had a super good reason because that confirms what I already believe, which is that they're good people.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, and, and this goes right back to what what you were saying. He has a blind spot for for Alice. He has blinders on for her. So, you know, she's an argent. The argent did a thing. She is good, therefore they are good type of thing. It's, and Which is yeah.
2: inductive reasoning instead of deductive reasoning. Right. Maybe he know that they went to school more.
0: Oh.
2: Bruincy burn.
0: Harsh. <laughs> Harsh. Okay, yeah. So they're like, you know, Scott. Scott convinces Allison that, you know, because it's your birthday, they should just take the day off. They should just get out of there, you know.
3: So while he's gone, uh, we get he's he's left school with Allison. Um, but in chemistry class, Styles asks Danny if Jackson told him what happened at the video store, but Jackson wouldn't say styles also finds out that lydia stayed home from school
0: i think this is a great little baby scene because i mean it's it's styles getting necessary information to take us to scenes later when he goes to visit her but i really like kia who's acting in the scene because i really like these you know he's trying to do his work and styles is annoying him as he annoys everybody. But it's just when he asks about Jackson and like the little glances that, that Danny has over to Jackson, I, I feel like are very telling. Like, I feel like the fact that Jackson hasn't told him something is important. Are you
2: saying that he has a tell?
0: Oh, Aww. it's, it's good. Cause Got that's it, huh? the name of the episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really think Yahoo Nails this scene, he really knocks it out of the park. And it's all just the little, the little glances and the subtext that comes from it. Because it it reads, at least to me, that the fact that Jackson hasn't told him about the incident is important because right. based on the way he reacts, it seems like they don't really keep anything from each other. That they are in fact best friends. You know, they are they are Scott and Styles, just different, the different versions of Scott and Styles. And so the fact that Jackson isn't telling him stuff feels important and the way Kiahu plays it feels like that it it's upsetting to him a little bit that right. his best friend is keeping something from him like maybe this is like the first time you know like right. he almost doesn't know how to handle that information and it's really great
2: yeah cuz he cuz he's very like monosyllabic for mm-hmm. most of it and then when he starts asking about Jackson specifically and what happened and when he says he wouldn't tell me he's really hesitant yeah and it comes out kind of haltingly that it it does upset Danny that something happened that Jackson won't tell even him about. And that, that means it was something bad.
0: And that even, and I feel like if I remember this correctly, that comes after Harris tells Jackson that he can leave if he needs to or that he can come, I think, talk to him. If, he, mm-hmm. if there's anything mm-hmm. he wants to talk about, and then Danny saying that he hasn't told me anything, so it one, I think you're getting great character work in that scene. Like you don't even have to have in a lot of dialogue to say like we're best friends and this is upsetting to me that right. my best friend won't talk to me. But also you're getting that I mean, because we saw the incident with the Alpha and just how how much PTSD is coming from that from jackson like this was a very traumatic incident for him you know and the fact that he's keeping all that in i think it's just a really good little baby scene also styles falls down and that's fun <laughs> so yeah.
3: i read that that was an improv from uh dylan o'brien that's awesome forward. yeah it's the the return of that
2: important question does danny find me attractive and You know, you wonder why we're so interested in Styles being bi. I feel like the the seeds were sown early on.
0: Oh yeah, second episode, you know, and uh, yeah, I think it's just a great callback.
2: Yeah, and and it has a similar feel, you know, because we we see him kind of falling all over himself around Lydia. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It was, like I said, in that episode, you know, when they're in the cafeteria and he turns one way there's a cute girl and he turns the other way and there's a cute guy. I just feel like it's, this is major by energy. Just like
3: baby high schooler, haven't figured it out yet, By energy. It's great. I also love in this scene, whenever Styles spits out the highlighter cap and then catches it. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many takes that took, but it's just a, such a fun little Styles moment.
0: It is really fun. I wish he hadn't caught it though. <laughs> I wish he'd just hit Danny in the head. Because <laughs> I, I, I like how confident. We we'll love some style. good physical comedy. I do, I do, but I just love how confident he is at, like, you know, throwing his head back and spitting it out. He's just gonna catch it, but then it just hits Danny in the head or something like that. I just, you know, I love it. I just love when someone acts confident and then it just blows up. Dylan is so good at physical comedy and it's like you just want to see more of it as often as possible.
3: Sometimes this is just the. Dylan O'Brien Appreciation Podcast. Jackson struggles to get through his day at school while dealing with the trauma of what happened to him the night before. So Jackson's half naked in the boy's locker room when Derek appears to interrogate him about what Jackson saw at the video store. Jackson swears he didn't see anything. Derek tells him that he should really get the claw mark wound on his neck checked out.
2: Yeah, this is just Derek like Rubbing it in to get back at Jackson for grabbing him in in the previous episode in in Magic
3: Bullet, just like, see, you don't like it when people grab you.
0: (laughs) Derek can be a snarky little
3: bitch. He can, but it's not, not, it's not the playful one that he does with Styles. I feel like no it's more, you're a dick. Here's getting it thrown back at you.
0: Yeah. This is a fun scene. It's really fun. Derek's interrogation of Jackson is fun, but also Jackson's scared. It's not often that you see bully characters get scared because he had a horrible incident at the video store. But then also right at the beginning of the scene, he thinks the alpha is in the locker room with him because he sees a a hulking shape coming out of the steam with glowing red eyes. But it ends up being another student's earphones. That are glowing, which is a great moment. I think it's fantastic. That being said, who wears earphones in the shower?
3: I think some kid was just treating the uh, shower room as like his personal sauna. Like it was super a lot steamy. of steam. We
0: there. That was a lot of steam.
2: It was steamy. Everybody's always talking about secret stuff loudly in the locker room and classrooms and stuff.
0: Oh, he he threw he put him in because he's like every time I go in the locker room, somebody's whispering about some monster or something. I don't want to deal with this. I just want to have a good steam.
2: Like, leave me out of it, you guys.
0: Right. I don't want to know. I like seeing other emotions coming from Jackson that are not just confidence. Douchebaggery.
3: Douchebaggery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I know because I mean that's like I, I love that's what we got in the pilot. And I like that it feels like every episode we are peeling back. A little bit on his character. I think it's just a mark of good writing and having characters who are fully fleshed out and three-dimensional instead of just having the oh well that's the bully character. That's the end. We don't need anything else. It's like, nope, that's the bully character. And then we just learn more and more.
3: Styles calls <laughs> Scott to get try to get him to do something about everything that's happening, but Scott has already headed into the preserve to spend the day with Allison. I see Styles'
2: point here that. You know he can't just check out for a full day because he feels like it, but I'm not totally sure what Styles wants Scott to do.
0: Why? Like I don't know what's gonna happen. Like so, let's say Scott had picked up the phone. What well, was Styles gonna say? Like, hey, the 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 thing happened. Do wolf stuff.
3: I feel like well, I feel like he wanted another person to be there to help him. Like Jackson's being super weird. Lydia's not even there. I think he wants someone else to like divide up the work. Like oh. one of them see what's going follow Jackson, see what's going on, the other one check on Lydia.
0: Okay, that makes sense actually.
3: But he wants Scott to help with the investigative side of things. Right. Yep. Should have yes. just called up Derek, who's apparently used to roaming around the high school anyway. I don't think That's he has true. a phone yet. Oh yeah. He doesn't he doesn't there's there's a
2: thing in the book about how Derek doesn't have a phone. And his reasoning for that, I think, is that a he doesn't have anyone to call, and b he's afraid that he could be tracked by it.
0: You know, Mama McCall would put them would put Derek on their plane if she knew about that.
2: I feel like she's awesome. <laughs> all of season two is actually just Derek being like, "Scott, you want to be in my pack? No. How about now? How about do Do you <laughs> want to be in my pack now? No." How about now, though? No, oh, my God. I'm not going to be in your pack. Starts texting that's him like emojis. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, oh, emojis. I don't think the eggplant emoji means what you think it oh. means. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was meant for Styles.
0: Oh. <laughs> well done. I feel
2: like he's just such a little fail wolf that he would, like, yes. think it was something else.
0: He's like, I'm eating eggplant. Why else would I send this? <laughs> it's eggplant parmesan.
3: It's really good for you. Your body is a temple, Scott. <laughs> So without Scott there to help him, Stiles goes to check on Lydia alone. And Lydia's taken some pills to ease her nerves, as her mom explains, from what happened at the video store. Styles asks ask Lydia what she saw last night, but she seems too far gone to give him a real answer. She's popped a zanny.
0: Yeah, it's really weird seeing Lydia in this state.
3: Teen Wolf does
2: that a lot, like toggling between two very different tones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely an example of that where it's really on that border between very serious because she's clearly traumatized by what she's seen and also being kind of funny because she says, I shot Shuji or something like that. I was surprised that her mom let him in. Yes. Yes. So she's like super up and... Wearing in, lingerie. Wearing lingerie. She's, as Will would say, she's in her jam jams. She's
0: in her jam jams.
2: <laughs> and, and I'm in yeah, my jam jams like, right now. Um, Why are you letting... I mean, she does leave the door open, but still... She does leave
0: the door open.
2: It's like, I, she's clearly not listening, though, because they're talking about what happened to her last night, which I assume isn't what she would want, since she's providing her child with prescription drugs to try to repress what it or or i mean at the very least manage her nerves in terms of you know calming her down for now and i don't right. think that bringing up the traumatic incident is going to help that right. but yeah i was just like why are you letting him into her room tell him to go
3: away and come back later like yeah i think we kind of see though from this episode that her parents aren't the best no right.
0: not even Close, and they're they're divorced, and they just snipe at each other like the entire time. Like t- to jump ahead a little bit, when we have the parent teacher conference scene with Lydia's parents and Mrs. Ramsey, it's just like like Mrs. Ramsey like smiling like this is like you can already tell this is gonna be a fine meeting like there's nothing wrong or anything like that. But like the parents like Mrs. Ramsey says something like. Well, I want there's to tell so you about,
2: much to say about there's so Lydia. much to say about
0: Lydia, and she's smiling and happy, and then her, and then Lydia's parents are just like, "Here we f- go, here so it I'm is. Tell us what's going it. on here, you know?" And all this, and it's just like they're just being so awful to each other that you know they're not even paying it. They're not reading the room one, but also it just you you, you see this scene, and then you're like, is, "Was this her home life? Like, how long was it like this?" And it's just awful. It, it's yeah. you feel really bad for her, especially. Also, to jump ahead a little bit where you're cutting to her, putting the makeup on. And it's just a visual representation of her taking all those emotions and tamping them down. And uh, we're not going to deal with it and we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to pretend they or we're going to pretend they don't exist. You know, so it's just a very well done scene, but it's just you really feel for Lydia. I mean, you just feel awful.
2: I love that sequence of Lydia putting on makeup. It's so beautifully filmed. Like you said, it's a very clear visual representation of how she is dealing with what happened to her. And a lot of Teen Wolf is about characters processing trauma. And Lydia's arc in that regard is
3: particularly great
0: oh yeah her arc this season and then over the whole of the show is just fantastic
3: much to his delight Lydia asks Stiles to stay with her she seems ready to kiss him but then she calls him Jackson before passing out Styles checks Lydia's phone when a text comes in and finds that she accidentally took a video of the alpha breaking through the storefront Kate how do you feel about this scene
2: I'm just really happy that it ended before it could get any more gross. I, I know that it's played for laughs, but it just, that moment where he's leaving and then, you know, she's telling him to stay and he excitedly comes back in. And when she's leaning in like she might kiss him, he seems into it and he should not be because she is up in this yeah. scene. She's really up. And the only thing that kills the moment for him is not the fact that she's up. It's the fact that she calls him Jackson. So I was just like, when it ended, I was like, okay, well that's over and I'm happy about it.
3: It's funny, but also upsetting. But I do like to think that he would have stopped her if she actually did proceed to kissing him. I think he was just really caught up in what his longtime crush seemingly wanting him there. And Yeah. I I hope that is the case. I think that uh, he actually, she had actually tried kissing him. I think he would have like pushed her her. away and stopped her. Yeah. Derek is working out when Kate attacks his house with two other hunters. Yeah, this is the
2: second of Teen Wolf's dramatic pull-ups. We see Scott doing dramatic pull-ups in the first episode. It's one of the first things we see him do. And it's also the first of many angry workouts on Derek's part. That's sort of his mo.
0: You gotta get all that aggression out when you're working out. I mean, it's just the only way to do it, so. And again, we see that interesting tattoo on his back. We saw it in the previous episode when he and Styles got to the animal clinic and he pulled off his shirt. And we just get it like a fleeting glimpse of it, but uh, it's a very interesting and distinctive tattoo on his back. So hopefully we'll get some history on that at some point further down the line. But then Kate shows up and ruins all the working
3: out.
2: Oh, I really love that moment. So when he's doing the angry workout, it has this sort of like clubby electronic music in the background and he's doing one-armed pushups. And then he, with his enhanced werewolf senses, he can hear the hunters approaching the house and he stops like mid one-armed pushup and the music cuts at the exact same moment. It's such a fantastic transition Mm -hmm. because it goes straight from him sort of going still And looking toward the door and realizing that he's about to be attacked to the hunters sort of kicking in the front door. Or that's what they would be doing if the front door were much of a barrier in the first place. It's not really, but it's still impolite.
0: (laughs) It is still impolite. Kate and her her goons could have at least knocked. But that is a fantastic moment when he's doing the push-ups, And then all of a sudden he stops and the music stops with him. It's, it's really cool. It's great. And I feel like it's not, I feel like it's not something you would expect. Like you'd expect the music to keep going or even get louder, like for that little fight scene to happen. But then it just stops and right. it's very evocative.
2: It stops almost as if it's diegetic music, but it's non-diegetic. Right.
0: It's non-diegetic music. And that's always, and it's always fun when non-diegetic music reacts you can't see me doing finger quotes reacts <laughs> when it reacts to what's happening in the scene because you're right if it was right. diegetic or something there'd be like a dj or something or like like kate would have like hit the stop button or something right. if it had been like a boom box or an ipod or something like that but it's not so it's non-diegetic music that reacts to the the character in the scene that's fun
3: yeah kate shocks Derek with a cattle prod before taunting him that the hunters cut laura in half to use her as bait However, she reveals to him that they are not the ones that killed her and the body had bite marks on it when they found her. Kate teases that she and Derek have some sort of past together. She tries to get the answer of who the alpha is from him, but realizes Derek doesn't know his identity either. She shoots at Derek, but he runs off into the woods. His
2: life is so hard.
0: (laughs) It's very hard.
2: There's a bit, I really like the moment in the scene between um Derek and Kate where he's like sort of pulling himself up using a sofa Mm -hmm. and there's a moment where he's like should I bother charging her again because I think he at that point he knows Mm -hmm. just how much he's not a match for this weapon and then he's kind of like it I'm gonna do it anyway And I feel like that's just him in a nutshell
0: yeah
2: yes because he's like I would rather just die like be electrocuted to death, then give her the satisfaction of not getting back up.
3: Mm-hmm. In this scene, Kate says, this one grew up in all the right places. And it's possibly the most disturbing moment in the entire first season.
2: Rivaled only by another scene later, also between Derek and Kate.
3: The, the implication there is just not Awful. good, especially from what we've seen with Kate uh, whenever she met god and her behavior towards him and stuff but just mm, i I need to go take a shower wipe all the grossness off me
0: with kate it seems like every time she says something we learn something about her like even if like this even if the line of dialogue isn't like pertinent to like the scene happening but every we always learn something you know and it just seems like she's just a monster it seems because we've already seen like you know when we first meet her You know, we think this is going to be when we meet her in Magic Bullet and we think, oh, this is just maybe going to be a damsel in distress. This is going to be a victim of the alpha. And I guess the rest of the episode is them trying to figure out how this woman was murdered or something like that. Well, that's not what happens because she's got guns and she is totally willing to take on the alpha and she shoots at a beta, not realizing it's Derek. And he, and he gets shot, and she's like, Oh, he's, I don't, I don't know, it doesn't matter. He's gonna be dead in 48 hours. So she already has a callous disregard for supernatural life. We know that. Yeah. Right when we meet her. And then again, later in that episode, the way she interacts with Scott is just not great. It's not it is, the way
3: adults are
2: supposed
0: this, this, to interact yes, with children. Uh, adults are not supposed to interact with children this way. And then we get this scene where she says, Oh, this one grew up in all the right places, which just heavily implies she knew him when he was not when he had not when he was a little kid when he was much younger at least and had not yet grown up and then now she's saying this and it's just it's just not the things you say about and it's also
3: he's half naked in this scene
0: yes and he's half naked in the scene and it's just there's a lot of writing on
3: the floor (laughs) writing
0: on the floor there's just a lot of implications coming yeah. from these lines of dialogue that seem, I guess on their face, innocuous and sleazy, but then just like, no, just think about it for a second. They, and they
2: get worse the more you think about them. Yeah.
0: If you think about it, it's like, this is just awful. And, it's, and it's the sequence too,
2: because she says this one grew up in all the right places. And you're like, well, that's just about the worst thing I've ever heard. And then she takes a breath and says, I don't know whether to kill it or lick it. And you're like, oh, or that's the worst thing I've ever heard. It's one of those two things. She has
0: like a bet with herself. Like, (laughs) can I just outdo myself in sleaze? And it's like, I'll take on that bet with myself. And it's like every line of dialogue is just, here we go. We're going to keep going.
2: Yeah. And I, I think the kill it or lick it part well so the first part is very gross for the reasons that you mentioned and then the second part is not only Kate in a nutshell but also I think that there's like the reason that Derek is so sensitive about people talking shit about werewolves Mm -hmm. and like you know Scott saying what he said about his life being ruined and everything like is because of stuff like this that right. that Kate justifies the kinds of things that she does by just saying that they're not people that yeah. they're just things
0: and then she realizes that he doesn't know who the alpha is which means he has no value to her and I feel like that's how Kate sees everybody mm-hmm. is like just like floating numbers above their heads as their value to her like what is she going to get and then the moment she realizes that he doesn't know that number went straight to zero and she's like, I guess it's bullet time. Mm-hmm. And then she shoots at Derek and he has to run off and leave his house.
3: But she wasn't, I don't believe she was invested in actually killing him. She just
0: oh, I think wanted she to f***
3: with him. Huh? I think she was, I mean,
0: I think she, she was gonna at killing.
3: It doesn't seem like she follows him in there, like follows him out into the woods or anything. I think, you know, she just wants to torment him. Like she keeps saying Derek is expendable, but She doesn't kill him when she has the opportunities. She chooses to like torture him and keep him alive because I think she like gets off on the guilt on his guilt and him having to look her in the face.
0: So Derek's having a bad day, it seems. He's having
3: a bad life. He's having a bad
0: last six years.
3: He's having, yeah.
0: And Styles is also having a bad day because Scott just is not calling him back, it seems. You know, Scott's still having his wonderful Jean. Through Beacon Hills Preserve with the lovely Allison and Styles is trying to figure stuff out, but Scott's not calling him back. Well, he ends up deleting the 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 video of the alpha from the phone and
3: to protect Scott. I think. To protect
0: Scott. Yeah. I, I agree now. I agree now. It, it's to protect Scott. So I also I,
3: think he doesn't want Lydia to see it again.
0: Oh no. I yeah, I think that would just be a horrible incident that would just reignite all that PTSD. And yeah, I think he's doing it for for his crush, Lydia, because she's been through a a lot, you know, with that incident from the night before, but also to protect Scott, because he knows that somehow this will lead to Scott going for the alpha or somehow this will get back to Derek and it'll just lead to them moving even closer to the danger. And Styles doesn't want his friend to be in danger. He wants him to be Or, in
2: I mean, it would lead to people finding out that werewolves exist and that would put werewolves yep. in danger. So really, there isn't a lot that could come from that video that he thinks would go well for the people that he cares about. Yep. And he also clearly feels like keeping all this supernatural stuff from other people is protecting them. That's why he you know, is so careful that his dad doesn't find out what's going
3: on because knowing and being in the middle of it puts you in danger. So Sheriff Stilinski tries to ask Deaton again about the attacks in Beacon Hills. He shows Deaton new camera footage from the video store attack, and it shows a beast breaking through the glass, walking on all fours, and then walking on two feet like a man in the final frame. Deaton is dodgy about the questions and the sheriff seems suspicious. I definitely think that the sheriff is getting a vibe that Deaton knows more than he is letting on in this scene.
0: I agree Deaton yeah. is pretty cagey in this scene. Like I mean because we've already had the previous scene in episode is I think second chance at first line. When Sheriff, I think it's
2: pack mentality. Oh, is
0: it pack mentality? When Stilinsky comes to talk to, to Deaton and Deaton's like, I'm not an expert. I don't know. But then it seems even more cagey this time around because you know you got the dogs barks. I gotta go see about the dogs. And he's just really it just feels like from the moment that scene starts, he's trying to get out of this scene. Right. He does not want to deal with this at all. But honestly, I feel like that last photo is hella insane. Just it. Cause it's clearly it a dude. Yeah. It's like, it's like not even like, oh, well it was running so fast. It ended up on its hind legs. Like that's a dude buddy.
3: Right. Like or this Will. is a person. Is it Bigfoot?
0: God, if it had been Bigfoot.
3: <laughs> it, 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 it looks a little things, though, like It does look Bigfoot. Break. It's
0: got that, it's, it's got... got that, that, that gate going yeah. there. <laughs> it's got a Bigfoot lope going. Yeah. But, um, I, I love this scene. I think the scene is fantastic. I love, I think Teen Wolf is very good at reveals, like slowly parsing out information in a scene to give you that final, like a little punch before uh, the scene ends. And that's a great one. I mean, because it's so interesting because you see like that, it's the three, it's the three photos. And the first one is just the shape kind of breaking through the glass. You don't really get a good definition to the shape it's blurry like, it's blurry and all that but the next one is yes yeah, down on all fours but it's it's got a hand like you can see like thumb and kate i think you said it looked like a gorilla it's
2: a little bit gorilla
0: it's gorilla it's gorilla looking i don't i really don't think anyone could look at that picture and be like look at those paws i'd be like look at those hands
2: <laughs> those
0: are hands those are harry and the henderson hands <laughs> it's a it's a big foot okay spoilers right now people the alpha is a bigfoot. They are in the Pacific. Foot. They are in the Pacific Northwest. It makes complete sense, but no. And then you know, so you're like, that what what is happening? And then in that final picture, it's clearly a guy like walking up on two legs, and you're
2: just like, what is happening
0: here? Yeah, and-
2: I feel like at the beginning of the scene, Deaton was like, it's fine, I'm chill, I can just you know calmly explain away whatever he's about to show me, and then the images are so clearly supernatural in nature, and he's like.
3: Hmm? Nope, uh, nope. I,
2: I, I believe there's a Doberman calling me from yes. the next room. You'll have to excuse me, Sheriff. What do you think
0: Stolinski's feeling? Like, what is he thinking in this moment? Like, because he's got to be picking up on the cageyness coming from Deaton. You know, it's like, what what's going on?
2: I thought that it almost felt like he was suspicious of Deaton. the beginning of the scene like the fact that he's looking at these images and there's nothing you know he's not sure how to explain it but one thing he can say with absolute certainty is that is not a mountain lion yeah so i feel like he's thinking to himself how did we get so far off base and then he thinks to himself well the, the only the person that i asked was deaton
1: yeah
2: and while it's true he's not a forensics expert it feels like he should have known the difference between a cougar and this like gorilla looking mother yeah so he kind of go. I feel like he a little bit walks into the situation like I I'm not sure whether you're just even less of an expert than you made yourself out to be yeah or you know something that you're not telling me and as the conversation goes on it's looking more and more like the latter that's how it felt to me.
0: I see that.
3: I think he's putting a lot of pressure, though, on his local vet.
0: Yeah, Deaton is being very suspicious. And I mean, is he now a suspect? I mean, he's a suspect, maybe in the sense with Stalinsky, where Stalinsky's like, something's going on with this guy and I don't know really what to make of at the moment but I mean what do we think
3: I don't feel like there's any way he could be the alpha because we've already seen the strong reaction that the cats it was the cats right that had mm-hmm. to Scott. yeah we've already seen the strong reactions that the cats had to Scott whenever he was turned and we also got some moments with Derek and dogs. Mm-hmm. I feel like it'd be a really weird decision for an alpha to take on a vet practice, knowing that animals freak out when he's around.
2: While Sheriff Stolinski is working on the case of the murder at the video store, Scott is kind of shirking his supernatural responsibilities and spending his time with Allison, and it pays off because she tells him that she's had a perfect birthday.
3: So this episode is perfect for all of the Scott Allison fans out there. It's very sweet and it's all about them. Scott confesses he knows that Allison has a tell where she's lying. Her eyebrow goes up. She tells him she wishes they could spend the night together and her parents weren't coming back from the conference at school which reminds Scott that as a failing student, he is supposed to be at the parent teacher conference with his mother right then. Oops
0: and then life comes crashing back in to destroy this perfect birthday day and then they have to race off into the night to get back to the school in time for those conferences and scott's really anxious and upset about this because
3: is he because he likes to be like till- okay when he's in the car and they're driving back he still looks like a lovesick teenager who's just really happy about getting to spend his day with allison And the knowledge that she wants to spend a night alone with him as well.
2: That means sex. For the sex. Which he just realized in the previous episode is something Allison was interested in. And she pretty much had to wave a condom in his face for him to be like, she wants to bone down.
3: Visit to the bone arena.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: You're right. Scott does still look a little in love puppy. In this scene, but it's great because it gives us this wonderful moment, you know, where they're driving back and then in the passing headlights, you get these great flashes in his eyes that just look spectacular.
3: I love that scene. I think it's such an amazing detail to put in there.
2: And it, it looks a little bit different from how his eyes normally look. It's kind of a different effect. It looks more like Tapita Lucida, you know, the the reflective layer on the irises of some animals.
0: Cats
3: have mm-hmm. it.
2: Yeah, so that when you, when your dog is let's say outside in the dark, um, disturbing the neighbors as ours <laughs> sometimes like to do, you get that shiny reflection on the eyes. It sort of looks like that, and it's subtler. It's not as boom, in your face, supernatural. But it it looks great.
0: It looks fantastic. It's very subtle. I, I, I definitely think this is an example of using CGI for a very subtle effect, instead of going for something big and grandiose, where it's just this tiny little flickers of light. So
3: back at the conference, Jackson's parents talked to Harris and mentioned that they think Jackson is an overachieving perfectionist because he thinks he has something to prove as an adopted child. Then it cuts to Jackson drinking and trying again and again to make a perfect lacrosse shot just to really drive home that point. This is a fantastic
0: scene. I love really scenes. One. I love the 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 combination of these two scenes played back to back because up until this point Jackson has i don't want to say one note or one dimensional but he's you know we meet jackson in the pilot and he's the bully character he's the handsome jock bully character who's dating the most beautiful girl in school and the world is his oyster you know but then with each passing episode it really feels like we're just peeling back layers on him and and we are realizing as an audience that he's just a flawed human being you know and then we get in this scene that he's Adopted, talking about having something to prove.
2: And I think the reason we get this is because when we see characters, teenagers in particular, on TV and in movies who are overachieving perfectionists, we kind of assume that it's usually, at least in part, because there's pressure from their parents. Yeah. Right. So this kind of takes that and goes in a different direction and says, well, you know, in this case, his parents don't really put pressure on him, but he puts pressure on himself. And it seems to stem from him going through this identity crisis, right? Of like, I don't know the identity of my biological parents, my biological family, but I still feel like I need to prove my worthiness to them.
3: Yeah. This scene, uh, I realized that Jackson's dandy plate is Jackson 37, 37 being his lacrosse number. I hadn't noticed that in any other scenes. Oh, wow. I I had not noticed that.
0: Good catch. I'd never seen that before.
2: He definitely seems like the sort of person who would have a vanity plate.
3: Yeah. Under Russell McKay, he had to just drive around with that on his car. (laughs) Continuing at the conference, Lydia's teacher tries to tell her parents how intelligent she is. Her parents are too busy bickering between themselves as they are seemingly going through the middle of the divorce or have just recently divorced.
0: They seem awful. Just 100% awful parents.
3: I do
2: have to say, though, that I love Sharon Conley as Ms. Ramsey. She is only in, I think, two scenes in this episode, and she packs so much sass into those two scenes yeah we i i needed more of her you
3: can really tell that she's just so sick of dealing with like these parents who either just don't listen to her or think they know it all and they don't need her so she's just oh let me just check you about what's really going on with your child
0: yeah no she definitely in two scenes comes across as very confident and very confident in her students like she gets them we, it, it is interesting because you get in like two scenes, like an entire impression of a character. You yeah, know? you and, do. You're, and you're just like, more, 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 please. please. I would like more of this, this wonderful thing.
2: She wasn't even just talking about Lydia's performance this semester. She was saying, I'd like to have her IQ tested. I mean, yeah. she's, she's looking at the horizon of... Lydia's future, and her parents are just like, "Oh, we, you, you made her choose who she wanted to live with, and that's terrible." And they're just not even listening to what she's saying. Yeah, Yeah. they're just
3: playing the blame game.
0: This is another. I feel like I feel like this is another great scene, peeling back layers on a character, because like in many shows and in stories, you know, you've got the the asshole jock and the vapid pretty girl. And then in two scenes, basically back to back, you're getting like, oh, nope, they are not those things. Like we are we are presenting you what the the archetypes of these characters and then revealing that there's a lot more going on. And honestly, like-
2: One of the things that I really like in this scene too with her parents is when the teacher, Ms. Ramsey, says she ha- also has outstanding leadership qualities.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Because I think with- Girls in particular, we tend to translate popularity to shallowness or even bitchiness, I think. And yeah. that isn't to say that Lydia doesn't dabble in those departments, <laughs> but we tend not to see social leadership as a real form of leadership, right. particularly when it comes to girls. Even though those same qualities of being like cutthroat and ambitious, we see as benefits to boys because those boys grow up to be CEOs. Yeah, But with girls, being cutthroat and ambitious is terrible. And I think Lydia understands that. And that's why we see her trying to conceal some of these qualities and just let them out in very strategic situations. Right.
3: But I I, I love that she says that. So our next scene has Sheriff Stolinski meeting with Coach Finstock, who tells him that while Stiles is incredibly smart, he has zero focus and doesn't take advantage of his talents the male circumcision thing still slays me no matter how many times i watch that scene yeah it
2: will never not be funny honestly
3: sheriff's reaction is just so perfect
2: (laughs) it it, like the, the the comedic timing in that conversation is so on point like how he's like well okay but there's some there's historical significance to the male circumcision and then coach is like Dude, I teach economics, and he's like, "Oh, oh good God,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so good."
0: It's it's it a wonderful so scene, and the the timing on it is fantastic. Because the the male circumcision just bit by itself was like, "That's funny." And I know styles, but then it's just what I teach. That's the punchline. That's the punchline, and it's just wonderfully done.
3: I love yeah. that coach. I love that coach is using a lacrosse pin in the scene. It's just so very coach. <laughs> ah, I didn't <laughs> notice that. I didn't <laughs> notice that, so that either. Yeah, his de- dedication to lacrosse is just. complete (laughs) (laughs) he he deserves an award He is committed to sparkle
2: motion that guy
3: this is also the scene where we first learn that styles has a first name that he has never called
0: that's true we do see a little a little bit of it too on a file folder
3: we do
2: yeah this becomes a great teen wolf mystery
3: yes and it's not the name that is later used for styles on the show so i have to wonder maybe this was his middle name, because we never get. Do we ever get his middle name? I don't. I don't
0: believe so. Do. I think we finally we really get his six. first
3: name. Yeah. And his, we of course have. We know his, his last name. name but, yeah. But yeah, maybe it's just his middle name is also very Polish and rich. I was just gonna say, On I feel like it's the gotta be
2: his middle name has to be super Polish too, right?
0: Yeah. Just I would, for I think so.
2: Some sort of cultural continuity.
0: And what is his first name, listeners? You're probably wondering. You'll have to wait five more seasons to find out. So.
2: So long. long. You you do, I believe Trust me, it's worth it. (laughs) You do, I believe, get a hint as to the first letter in season five.
3: Yeah, I believe that's correct.
0: I think yeah.
3: But you don't get the actual uh, name. Right,
2: right, that's right. Yeah, but you don't get the actual name until season six.
3: Well, his dad is away at the conference, Styles takes the police reports about the hail fire and begins to investigate himself. And I love that uh, cut. Again, we get a scene for each kid. We get Jackson, we get Lydia, and we get Styles, and it's just amazing. Well, it's just really interesting to me that we get what they think of them at school how the adults interpret the children versus how they actually are.
2: Yeah. And they're all, they're always alone in these right. scenes. Yeah. And I think in the last episode, we talked a little bit about Allison's character and her identity and how it changes. And I said that I think with teenagers, so often you're kind of defining yourself against others, like not necessarily in opposition to, but like relative to, Right. right, You're defining yourself relative to your peers. So I feel like it. it's so interesting that we see the parent-teacher conferences intercut with scenes of these three characters when they're alone. So they don't have in these scenes anyone else to contrast themselves against, right? It's just, who are they when they're by themselves? Yeah. There's no one looking at them, no one judging them.
3: So Will mentioned uh, while we were watching this that he felt like Styles investigating the Hailfire should have been our A story. And I completely agree. While I love Scott and Allison, I didn't feel like we actually got much out of their story. They had the perfect day together, but that doesn't drive the story forward. There's no conflict there. They were just enjoying themselves, which was very sweet. And I love fanfic like that, but... In terms of a story, we need more happening. I want to know how Styles started investigating. Like you said, he had mentioned the hellfire before, but... Did he try talking to Derek at all? Did he have to break into his dad's office to get this stuff? I wanted to know more.
2: And also, did Scott ever tell Styles about what he learned at Beacon Memorial? Because if you remember when, right. uh, when Derek tells Scott about the Argents having a hand in the hail fire, Styles isn't there. Right. It's Derek, Scott. And then Derek's uncle Peter, who's in a catatonic state. Right. So Styles isn't present for that. And we don't know whether Scott oh. goes back and tells Styles anything about that. Yeah, because Scott's reaction was, well, how do you know it was them? And if you are sure it was them, they must have had some reason. And I don't necessarily think that Styles would have had the same perspective. I mean, he might have asked the same question of how do you know it was them, but I don't think he would have said they must have had some reason because that's really coming from how Scott thinks. Right. Scott generally is optimistic about people in a way that I don't necessarily think that Styles is. Yeah. And Styles, probably from just being around his dad, who is an investigator, does come at things from a more investigative standpoint where you're coming to conclusions based on evidence, not based on how pretty a suspect's youngest daughter is. Yeah,
0: right. No, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Styles is not coming from being in love. Right. You know, so it's like Scott doesn't want Argents to be bad people because then Allison is slash. From a bad place, you know, so Styles. So that's where Scott's coming from. Styles doesn't have, have that emotional baggage. Like, he doesn't have a horse in this race type of thing. He's just like, what is the evidence? And Cliss is right. I, I this should have been the A story of the episode. Scott and Allison having a great day. Love it. Fantastic. He could have only been made better if they took a baking class. A lot of great character moments in it. It's super cute. I really like all of it. It should have been three c Max. You know, it should have been the C story or B story if we want to be super generous. And the A story should have been all about Styles Because in this episode, you have Styles going to check up on Lydia. Totally great. Love that. Finds the video of the alpha on her phone. Love it even more. Deletes the video. I'm still a little quasi not into that. But it ends with him with evidence from the hail fire. Like he is digging. And I'm like this should have been like four more scenes. Like, I feel like we need connective tissue from going from checking on Lydia to ending with him on his bed, looking at all the evidence. Like that should have been the A story. He should have, I feel like, found out the information about the hail fire from Scott. Like we definitely, because I feel like he has that information because otherwise there's no reason for him to look into the fire at the end of this episode. So he must have gotten it from Scott. I wish we had seen that because then you could have had, you know, Scott- or then you could have Styles be like, So so Derek believes that the Argents killed his family. And Scott's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, but why would he believe that? And he's like, well, they might have had, you know, they might have had a reason to do it. And he's like, like what? You know, what like like question all the things that Scott had said, where he's just looking at it from a fresh perspective, and he's like, No, or not. I mean, we we don't know. And and then start digging himself. And I would have loved. For Styles to go to the Hale House and yes. try and talk to to Derek, and Derek's just not having it at all. He's just like, I really don't want to talk to you at all. I'm gonna punch your face off. He's like, It's fine, but I need you to answer my questions. And I you know, I would love
2: the shit. Yeah, that would be so million. good.
0: And he, and finally, he like Derek doesn't open up to him for anything, but he gets this piece of information, something, some little baby thing that seems innocuous, and that leads him to then breaking into his dad's office. And getting the files from that fire and then starting to put pieces together. That would have been so good.
3: It's a very good episode, but I feel like like it had potential to be even more amazing by focusing on Styles, Yeah. And letting him have his first episode uh, and really show off Dylan O'Brien's skills there. But letting him have his own episode of investigation while Alice and Scott got to have their perfect day. Yeah. Hard agree. Yeah, I, I, I agree.
2: It, it's still a good episode because of what they're doing character wise. I think what we've been thinking of is, was there a way to do as much character work as they were doing in this episode, but also move the story further forward than it actually gets in this yeah. episode?
3: Okay, so with Scott gone, Melissa has to go into the parent-teacher conference alone. Harris tells her that Scott is failing, and perhaps he needs a male authority figure in his life because Harris is a dick. Totally,
2: wanted Melissa to stab him in the throat in this yes. episode, or in this scene in particular. What the? F-? You can't say that to someone. What is wrong with you?
0: But he's a man. We believe <laughs> yeah, we need to
2: be f- more men. I I do really like that he says, you know, maybe he needs an authority figure. And she's like, yeah, me. I'm the authority figure.
0: I meant with a a a penis.
3: A
2: a dude authority figure? Oh, go f*** yourself.
3: Melissa says that they are better off without Scott's father in their lives, which is our first hint that he's not such a good guy. yeah Scott and Allison hurry to get to the school, but they are too late. And both Melissa and the Argents realize that they skipped the school day together.
2: Chris and Victoria go up to Melissa and basically accuse Scott of being a problem child and saying, you know, it that kidnapped she my daughter! Yeah, like, why is everyone so mean to Melissa? She's perfect and everyone's mean to her. It's so unfair.
0: It's because there's not a strong male authority figure in Scott's life. <laughs> I agree with you 100%.
2: trying to get his throat cut over here. I
0: am. Melissa McCall is perfect in all things. So you're right. Everyone's being mean to Melissa in this episode. I don't get it. I They're so mean to
2: her. And I come don't know why, she's perfect.
0: She is perfect. Calm down, Chris. Chris. Yeah, calm down, Chris.
2: Oh, I'm so I'm so excited for you that you had time out between hate crimes to come over here and accuse a single mom of not single-momming well enough for you, you piece of shit.
0: Yeah, it's awful. I mean, Victoria's mean all the time. We, can, we know that, we've seen a couple of scenes with her. She's that nice. We kind of expect, I think, a little bit more from Chris. But speaking of Victoria being mean, she's wearing a fur coat in this scene.
3: She is. think
0: that's like werewolf fur because I 100% believe it's a werewolf carcass that she's
2: wearing. Calissa and I have actually had discussions, may or may not have been in the composition of fanfic about what hunter culture is like. And we definitely came to the conclusion that they probably make things out of werewolf pelts.
0: I mean, that makes complete sense. Hunters have been doing that to animal skins since always but it's just they're basically they're 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 ed geening werewolves is what they are yeah with werewolf fur on them. ed Gein children is the guy who inspired psycho and, and basically buffalo all bill. and buffalo bill and basically every serial killer ever uh-huh. came from ed Gein, who lived in wisconsin in the 50s and murdered people specifically women and made people suits and lampshades out of faces
3: so Beacon. basically,
0: Victoria Argent is the Ed Gein of, <laughs>
3: of, Beacon Hills. of Beacon Hills,
0: is what I'm trying to get at here.
3: They go to confront their children, but chaos breaks out in the school parking lot. Scott has to save Allison from being nearly hit by a car. The sheriff is not as lucky as someone backs into him. The sheriff tries to pull out his gun, but Chris Argent beats him to it, shooting and killing a mountain lion that has found its way into the Beacon Hills High School parking lot. And then it ends with a very sad-looking, dying CGI mountain lion.
0: But it does seem that the threat's been taken care of, right?
3: No. Nope. That doesn't feel right.
0: But... It is interesting, though, because it does feel like people are going to believe a threat's been taken care of. And that's when even worse things will probably happen, because it's always when, you know, the shark's been taken care of. We can totally open the beach for the 4th of July. It's like,
3: really, can we, Mayor? So how do you think the mountain lion got here?
0: There's something worse out in the woods. And the mountain lion is scared of something bigger.
3: Why was it, why
2: why do we think he was lured there by the Alpha? What was its reasoning? He
3: knows that I think, like, the sheriff is investigating and stuff. I think it's to take the heat off himself. You know, the Alpha has, like, any werewolf, incredible hearing and everything, and apparently the sheriff has already pulled as far as we know, the Hailfire like reports, unless Styles broke in and stole them.
2: Yeah, no, I think so, it's way more likely that, yeah, that the sheriff stole them.
3: So, if he's If the alpha's lurking around, he could have easily heard that. And then he's like, I don't want him closing in on me. I'm going to divert attention by thinking this is all done. The mountain lion's done for.
0: I can totally see that.
2: So at least to get the sheriff's department to let up while he finishes his wolf business.
0: All right, wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Teen Wolf editor, Ed Abrams. Let's have a listen. So Ed, you're... Your father was a very accomplished editor like yourself. Did y'all get to work on any projects together?
1: Um, yeah, I did. When I first got into the business, I think I was in the business for three years. And it was just back in those days, you had to be in an apprentice for three years right. uh, before you could even think about being an assistant. Um, so prior to being an assistant, I was his apprentice on a Lifetime Movie of the Week, Uh Oh God, I have to look at called uh, Nightlife, which was a vampire show shot shot in Mexico. Nice and edited Mm -hmm. on the Universal Studios lot, you know. And yeah, so yes, I started out. uh, I worked for about three months with him on that, and then got on to a a series as an assistant. After that, that's
0: awesome. So I, what was just having your dad being an editor is what kind of gave you the bug to want to do the same thing.
1: I started out, I initially wanted to get into the business in high school, but then we had the, a writer strike, I think, in uh, 78, I think it was, and the whole town shut down. And in those days, the what's called the roster had to be pretty much, everybody had to be working before a studio could hire someone or hire an apprentice. So there's no way anybody could hire me so my dad said, you're going to go to, you know, you got to go to college. So and I was doing still photography in high school at that time. So I decided to go to photography school uh, in, in Santa Barbara, a place called Brooks Institute. And so I went to Brooks and it was an accelerated program for two and a half years, came out with an advertising illustration degree, you know, went to Dallas out of high school, uh, college for about a year and then he, I was working a day here and a day there. It wasn't working out. And I was assisting other photographers at that time. And so my dad said, you know, let's, it's time for you to come back to LA. And he just happened to be come, finishing, a, I think he was editing a job up in Vancouver or no Toronto. So he stopped in Dallas and helped me load up the truck and we moved back. It, it, it was also because he wanted me, you know he was nominated for an oscar for blue thunder and so i went back because he wanted me to go to the oscars so yeah. that's so, amazing
3: i know that's so, so cool.
1: it, it just happened to work out that uh yeah i came back and then I was like a week or two later went to the oscars he didn't he he didn't win uh, the right stuff one which you've probably have all seen probably more than blue thunder but but uh, hey hey roy Scheider flying a helicopter around los
0: angeles fighting yeah. crime how does that win out against i don't know scott glenn and a whole bunch of astronauts yeah right?
1: i mean i yeah i mean that was a lot of fun i even went down to the the scene where they're flying around the factory in downtown la so i think it was the firestone plant that had not been torn down yet Right. And so I spent several nights down there in that. And then I watched them on the back lot of Warner Brothers uh, blow up the Twin Towers, yeah. you know, the Arco Towers, mm-hmm. the Arco Tower. Yeah. And uh, so then shortly after that, he gave me a name to call at, you know, Universal Studios and call every week. And finally, I got a call on a Friday saying, you know, the, we want you to start in the film library uh, Monday morning. That's awesome. So that's how, how it started. That's fantastic. Fantastic.
3: Very cool. How do editors collaborate with um, music supervisors and composers to find the right uh, sound for a scene?
1: Well, on this show, it was uh, mostly, I mean, Jeff Davis at first. I mean, we would put together, you know, a rough cut and, you know, Jeff would would say kind of where he was going. I mean, he was a big, you know, Hans Zimmer uh, fan. And Jerry Goldsmith. And so, you know, I think the first season was a lot of uh Dark Knight that we temped it with, and then put that in and some aliens, I think we put in. uh so we used that as temp, and then, you know, and then with Dino's direction, also he would direct us to certain scores that he thought might work. And then uh yeah, and then of course, for the songs, you know, it was it was uh, Laura, of course, and uh you know, Laura's great. You know, she would uh, I don't know read the script, send send me stuff she thought of. But then, if I thought of a scene that I thought should have a song, I'd send her a cut of it, and then she would send over here's three possibilities. And because uh, sometimes not, not every song works with being able to be edited, and you know, and once you put it up against picture, it sometimes doesn't work. So she was great about sometimes giving me three or more choices. Yeah, and so it was just temping a, a lot of, uh, you know, that's that's the thing is when we turn over an editor's cut, it's fully tracked. And then, uh, and then Dino gets involved once
0: we're locked. That's cool.
3: Got it. Yeah, very interesting to learn about.
0: Yeah, no, it's really cool. How did Teen Wolf come into your life, Ed?
1: An editor friend by the name of Augie Hess introduced me to Jeff v- Flaming, and then Jeff uh, pitched me to you know Jeff Davis, and they called me in for an interview, and I interviewed with oh it was Blaine, and then Jeff poked his head in for a minute and said hello, and yeah, and then I think it was a week later they gave me a call. I think I was going to be the third editor on, so it was it was great because uh, I, I just loved you know the script, and I just so much wanted to do something like this because I hadn't done a, a genre thing like this. You know, prior to this, it was you know. Well, I think prior to this, it was CSI
3: Miami.
0: Well, we're very happy that you did that. You did join the show because you definitely helped make it very special.
3: Yeah, thank you. Yeah. How much footage did you typically get for an episode, and did that change as the show went on? I think we
1: got about three to five hours a day. Um, wow. So yeah. So what is it? You know, whatever the math comes out for that, it was a lot. A lot of footage, and we shot for eight days, and then. Usually we always got a half a day to a day before we locked up to do inserts and pickups. Anything that was missing, anything Jeff thought that needed to be reshot or an insert we were missing. So we really ended up getting eight and a half to nine days. Wow.
0: It's a lot of footage to
1: which is really good. I, I mean, imagine. you know, it it was low budget, but it never felt low budget to me because we always had two or three cameras going all the time. Yeah. It it's just I never I don't think I ever felt like I was lacking footage yeah I mean this show I did not mind you know you know sometimes it was 14 16 hours a day and you know sometimes I'd even go in on the weekends and work on it because I just you know I just loved it so much and I had a you know I had a, a son who was 16 at the time so he was right at the, the the boys you know the kids age so I had him in the background, you know, saying, Dad, I can hardly wait to see it. You know. Aw. <laughs>
3: That's
1: wonderful. Yeah.
3: That's so great you could share that with him. Do you have
2: a favorite episode in season one?
1: Wow. Okay. That, God. I mean, of course, your your first is always your favorite. I mean, I'm trying to think I wrote down what that would have been 104. Would you guys, bullet. magic bullet? Yeah. Magic bullet was my first. And that was a blast to work on. I mean, you know, Derek and the alpha jumping around on the roof and, and a lot of romance, you know, between Scott and Allison, And uh, so that was, you know, sort of my, the first, you know, and then it's, that was Kate's introduction. So, you know, I mean, jumping out into the street and saying, I think it was, come on, come on. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was, I, you know, I got to cut her introduction. So, you know, that was great. You know, they were all uh, night school, 107. I had fond memories of cutting that. I mean, to be inside the school all night long, you know, with the alpha running around outside Well, and, and inside. Yeah. Also, <laughs> um, you know, and then, um, you know, I, yeah, I don't have a favorite. I mean, formality was great. And then, you know, and then co-captain was just, uh, you know, uh, style it was let's see, styles getting drunk is getting his dad drunk. You know, so I, yeah, it's going to be, yeah. So I don't really have a favorite other than probably 104 because it was my uh, first show.
3: 104 was definitely the episode, like the first three episodes are amazing, but that was when I was like, I have to keep watching this show. This is amazing television.
1: Yeah. No, it was. uh, Yeah. And then uh, Alyssa did a great job on those.
0: 104 has just, I feel like a quintessential Teen Wolf teaser where it starts one way and it ends up 180 degrees in the opposite direction of what you think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much fun. And and Kate's like the quintessential teen will yeah. fill in, <laughs> and well, then yeah. her, you know, so, so bringing her in and so in such a strong way in that yeah. very first episode. And it's just well, so that,
1: good. Well, that was the day. Din- yeah. That was this episode that had the dinner scene with, Argents sitting oh. around. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And then the con, condom at the front door. And it's just, God, there was so <laughs> many, there was so many good things about that episode. It's a great
0: one. Ellie. And Night School is my favorite episode. Of season oh, really? One. Yeah. I just adore that episode. It's so good. It's so much fun to watch.
1: Yeah, no, they, we had great directors on this one. And I got to work with all of them. I mean, Russell the most, um, you know, and then Tim, I think would have been second. And then... And then I got to, uh, I think I got to do the cameos for a lot of uh, our script supervisor, uh, mm-hmm. Katie. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to do her her cameo, Lyndon. I got to do yeah. his, and then I got to do uh, three episodes with Jennifer Lynch.
0: I was just about to ask if you if you did her episodes. That's, yeah, that's I did. Great. I think
1: she think she did four. Um, so I got to do three of her four. Um, and then our, you know, I did one for JD Taylor. You know, mm-hmm. our AD. Yep. Did his directorial debut. So yeah. So got to got to work with them all.
0: That's fantastic. You get to touch really all of all of the awesome yeah. On the show. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: Did you ever spend time on set? Um, what was your process like to prepare for editing an episode?
1: So seasons one and two, they were in Atlanta, right? Will mm-hmm. they were in Atlanta? Uh, we were in Santa Monica season one, Burbank season two. So finally, season three, we they came got the, what was it the, the state rebate was it yeah well, mm-hmm. the state rebate came back to and they shut, set up stages in Northridge, uh, I think in a speaker speaker factory yep. speaker factory right next to a train tracks and near an airport yep um, <laughs> Perfect <so invitation>. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. A lot of having you know hold the roll or pause. We got to wait for a, a train to go by. And in those seasons, uh, those two, and then eventually uh, Chatsworth, our editing rooms were right next to the stage. I mean, seasons three and four, I think they were across down a hallway. Yeah, and then and then five and six, my room was literally on the other. In fact, I had to say, stage would sometimes come to me and say you're going to have to stop editing you're going to have to wear headphones cuz we can hear your uh, editing oh. there's there's a kind of a, a joke between the editors everybody thought i played my music and sound effects louder than they did <laughs> so i would have to i'd have to turn it down you know cuz I, I like mixing my stuff like i was in a mix stage right so uh, but yeah so my process god it was so great being i mean i've done so many shows now since then where you know charmed was up in vancouver and uh, a couple of, i have not been been able to go to the set since mm-hmm. and it was so great to be able to walk to the set and you know sit back and you know video village or you know even with the you know the directors you know behind the monitors and you know hear their thoughts on what they you know what they're trying to get and they sometimes would you know tell me you know i would like to seem to be cut this way most of the time they let the editors do their, what they thought the scene should be first, which I appreciated, Because a lot of times directors, I find, are surprised by what they see. It might not be what they wanted, but then they're like, oh, I didn't see it cut that way, but it might be better than my idea. So, yeah, so, and then in preparing, Jeff Davis insisted on doing these tone meetings where I think the directors, the ADs, the writers, you know, we'd all go into the conference room and he would sit down and literally read the script and stop yeah. on every line. And if he would even inflect uh, the reading he would like from the line. I mean, if there's supposed to be a pause, you know, a lot of times he'll put dot, 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 or, you know, and he wants he wants that covered. If he wants a pause and a line, so he'll actually read the whole script out and give the tone for, of what the actors should be doing. It's more for the tone for the actors um, because there's a production meeting that usually happens uh, the, the same day or the day before. And so that's when he they go over, you know, more sets and lighting and stuff like that. Yeah, that was sort of, yeah. So that would have been my processes. And then a lot of the times with Jeff's permission, I would record the session and then I would have my assistant uh, s- sub them out, you know, break them up by scene And literally put a copy in the scene bin so that as I'm cutting the scene, I can listen to it before I start to cut and to see where, you know, what he wanted. I mean, there were some times where I knew he wanted a particular line read a certain way. I could go to it and see, ah, okay, that's what he's going for.
0: Uh, Those meetings were epic. Like they (laughs) were like three hour meetings and there were, and I recorded them on my phone. For some reason, I don't remember why, and it's like sometimes, like it would go for like an hour and a half or two hours. We'd stop for lunch, and then come back to finish it. But it's like they were like he like read every single line, every single bit of business, and just talked about every single scene. That's like here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm feeling, and would ask questions and all this just so that everyone was
1: on the same page. Yeah, I mean, he he's I don't think he claims himself as an actor, but boy, he. He could be because he really got into everybody's part. I mean, he mm-hmm. would, he would say, I want it like that, you know, mm-hmm. to the directors. So it was great. They were wonderful.
3: He definitely seems very talented. Like he can do it all. <laughs> I'm very jealous of yeah, his talent.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I think everybody says that about Jeff. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's anything Jeff can't do. So and I, I'm, you know, hoping I'm going to, I just, I'll be available whenever he gets something else going.
0: Yeah, I think every, I think everyone from the show would be like, "Oh, he's got another show. Can I drop what I'm doing and go <laughs> yeah. to that now, please?" Yeah, just because he's he's just yeah, a I, lot I, of fun to work for. He's just. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know, know he's well. he's he's in development. Um, mm-hmm. I know he's chomping at the bit to get something going. Yeah, because it's been what has it been four, three, years?
0: Three, three, four,
1: four three, years? four yeah. years. Four years. Yeah. So I know he wants to get back into production. Yeah, and I've never had an executive producer so great to work with Mm -hmm. uh, other than
0: him real quick before i move on to this next question um i've only worked on one show but it was i think the greatest strength of our show was that we all worked at the stage you know that Mm -hmm. all you had to do is walk down a hallway and you were there like you were in the in the mccall home or in eichen house or this or that and you could see it all happening and i i just don't see how any show would ever be like we're gonna we're going to have our editors or our writers or everybody be a thousand miles away from where we're doing yeah. the actual thing. Cause I mean, and I get it, I get it for reasons, money and all that, but it, it's just like, once you've done it this way, it's like, why would you ever not do this? Like, it's just,
1: Well, I've been on shows where I've asked the, you know, associate producer, I said, you know, can I, can I listen in on the, when they're remote, can mm-hmm. I less listen in on the the tone meeting and the word would come back from, you know, the ADs. No. Why does he need to listen to, you know, the tone meeting? Oh my God. I mean, that's where we hear what the, you know, executive producer wants and intent, yeah. you know, so it's, uh, it's rare. I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't think it happened on charmed. Yeah. So
0: yeah, yeah. it just goes to show that Jeff wanted everyone's input that the, you know, it's like, why am I why are we working with all these people if we're not yeah. learning what everyone feels or thinks about the script or the scene or something like that?
1: Well, I, and and I think it was, I don't think we did table reads, did we? No, actors? we
0: just did not have time. We did them. We I remember in 3A, we did a couple, and I can't remember, I think there was always a reason for it. Cause like when I was on the first season of community every new script there was a table read like they would yeah. stop for 45 minutes and read the script very fast and, and like it on one of the lunches and but like with Team Wolf we just never had time to do it and but I remember we did a couple I think that I think that it was for MTV like I think those are always like at the very beginning of a season and some MTV folks would come down and we'd do a table read and then be like all right now we got to get back to work
1: yeah well I mean yeah. that's why the the tone meeting was so good because so many times as Jeff is reading it he would you know write notice something needs to be changed and he mm-hmm. would you know blurt it out to whatever the writer of that episode was in the room and say you know put a note we need to look at this line mm-hmm. yeah so that was great
2: so then the the actors were typically not present for the tone meeting
1: no <laughs> there, there was reasons for that but uh, yeah it, it, that's sort of the confidence between the writers and the editors it's like where jeff you know spills the beans on what what he wants i mean it's like yeah uh, no I, I think later on i think i mean uh tyler posey i think in season six started coming in because mm-hmm. he was a producer yeah so i think later on he he was invited in
0: yeah but normally no and most of the times for those tone meetings it's like that's the next episode shooting so they are currently shooting down the hall on the stage and this is the next set of ad's and the next set of everybody getting ready for the next meeting so there was just like no time because again like these were like epic three and four hour meetings it's like well there's just not four hours in a day that the actors can stop what they're doing and not be filming so yeah
2: it's really interesting how how that cascades to everyone who's collaborating on it
0: yeah it sure does What was the process of editing a genre show like Teen Wolf compared to something that's a procedural like CSI Miami?
1: I think a genre is I think it's more character arcs and the story is ongoing through every episode, whereas, you know, like CSI Miami, it was. killer of the week i mean it was you know whereas we were the monster of the the series i mean we Mm -hmm. had the monster of the series so we had more of a an arc i think to the season whereas procedurals um it's more about busting the perp and you know david caruso doing and i got you (laughs) 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 which uh yeah is david caruso's thing so um yeah and i i just fell in love with the Teen Wolf genre. I mean, I everything that's everything I've done since Teen Wolf seems to be genre-based now. I don't seem to get back onto the other ones anymore. That's
0: where all the fun is. You get the monsters <laughs> and, and the interesting weirdos okay. and stuff like
1: yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so we've already talked somewhat about um, what it was like working with Jeff. How did that collaborative process work between him and the editing bay outside of the tone meetings?
1: I mean, season one was rough. And to because he was in Atlanta. So he would send us email notes. Uh, I don't even think we ever got on. I mean, back then, I don't even think we had Evercast yet, which if you're not familiar with Evercast, it's a way that they can see my Avid uh, real time. I mean, there's a delay, which is why even on that, we have to wear headphones, um, because otherwise, you'll hear feedback. They, I don't think we had that then. There were other products out there and we tried them actually in post. We did bring them in and it was just, we'd lose connection. It just didn't work. So Jeff would send email notes and he he was great. What he would do is he would do a frame grab of the scene, which when he gets it, it has time code embedded in it. So he could literally do a frame grab of that, drop it into an email. So he doesn't have to write the time code down because we can see it uh, in, the, in the frame grab. And so then he would describe, you know, what he wants us to do with this line. I try a different line reading. You know, I think we should be tighter here. We should be looser here. So he would give us all those notes. And then I think in season one, he flew back at some point uh, for a long weekend and, you um, he was pretty exhausted I, I think we got him for six hours because he was you know he was he was probably working 20 hours a day uh wow. in, in when he was in, when he was in atlanta he was he was really working a lot and uh and then when he got back to uh la on you know three through six most of the time he's so busy most of the time we still got the emails but at least we got him in person i mean we got him in person on seasons one and two, after they wrapped, then we'd come in and start locking shows. I mean, the good thing about MTV and our schedule is we always seemed to have time. We didn't have to really lock shows until I think after they finished production. Yeah, I think that was the case. And so, you know, when Jeff got back, I would have four shows uh, unlocked on my shelf. And so he would just start, when he gets back, he would just start going from room to room, you know, Working with one of us, and you know, give us a bunch of notes, you know, verbally, and then he'd go on to the next room and work with them for a day and give them notes, and then, then it gives us a day to do his notes, and then he comes right back around again, and you know, starts working with us again, and that kind of went that way all the way through the whole season. Um, but he he did he always did an email pass, um, usually because he was always I mean you know he, he runs everything so
2: yeah. When did he sleep?
1: I don't think he did not during seasons one and two, three, he seemed to be start to becoming more normal. I thought, uh, you know, because, but then he had, you know, he still had a drive, you know, from I think West Hollywood to Northridge, but he's going uh, uh, against traffic, you know, traffic's coming into town, not going out of town. Yeah. So I think it was better. And then I think the hours he worked freeways are empty. I mean, you know, I'd leave at 10 o'clock at night and I would see his Porsche in the parking lot. So, you know, I'd know yeah. he was still there. So, uh, yeah. and I think, I think he could make it home in 20 minutes, you know, uh, in those days.
0: Yeah. I don't think there was ever a time unless he had like an event he was going to or something. I don't think there was ever a time that we the writers left, and he had already left. Whereas, like no. he's he, you'd be like, all right, Jeff Racine, and you He'd just hear clack, 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 <laughs> like as he's as he's working on a <laughs> yeah. scene for the next day, or 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 he's headed off to talk to you, or to talk to Dino, or to see yeah. what makeup is doing, you know, and and so yeah.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I there was a whole chain of I think uh, a text that he was on from production, and I think you know he you know when they got the first shot lined up, I think he was texted to come over and look at it you know so you know they'd be in the middle of the writer's room and he has to leave and uh you know i know a lot of the times you know uh, i think the writer's room would stick around until after they finished wrapping because you had to get a script out that night right will
0: yeah i mean it's there are plenty of times where it's like well the script has to finish today so you stay Mm -hmm. until it's done so if you want to go home it's like well we got to write some gold yeah, and figure out what's <laughs> yeah. happening here, you know. Yeah. So it's just yeah, it was it was rough, but
3: it was close. the only way out is through.
0: The only way yeah. out is through. <laughs> yeah. Always worth it.
3: So uh I know you said you'd be eager to go on to another project from Jeff Davis, but in particular, would you be interested in returning to the world of Beacon Hills?
1: Yes, yeah. I yeah, it's uh God, I was so hoping for a you know a, a like a break of a year and then back for season seven, but mm-hmm that probably won't happen um but i definitely would go back for you know a, a, i don't know what it would be i don't you know i don't think anybody would be but i would definitely go back Thank
3: fans you. are desperate every day we get like a ton of messages just of can you tell us if there's ever going to be a season 7 like we don't know guys but Good we'd love yeah. to have more teen wolf too
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i just you know for this i watched all of season 1 again and i haven't really seen it since it aired and um you know i mean that's uh i i don't know if i'm gonna wait for you guys to get to beyond this i'm gonna probably start watching the rest because <laughs> fantastic I'm, well they only got i thought they got you know better and of course everybody knows how how good uh 3b is i guess that's um, yeah. so good you know, that's uh,
2: our collective favorite is yeah it? i
1: mean that's you know uh being what the what was he? Was he in the kitsune? No, eh? Yeah. But you were also mentioning about, you know, the about Jeff. I mean, something we did every for season one, every because think because we we waited to lock shows until he got home, we were able to do the the screenings at his house. And so every Monday, I think for all of season one, uh every Monday there was a screening we he'd invite the whole crew to his house and we would watch it. Uh, live I think we watched it live or sometimes maybe maybe it was running live but he put a blu-ray in (laughs) so you know I've never experienced that my whole career uh, being invited to uh, you know I think maybe charmed maybe they did it once but that was it
3: yeah we got to go to a couple screenings during season uh, four I believe it was four and five maybe and four and five yeah so incredible that he would even let Will bring like couple of fans yeah. over to his house to watch the show <laughs> well by then
1: it by then it got to be very not very often but it would be like for the premiere for the finale
0: well he, he very much it felt like was just like everybody needs to see their work done like this is what we all worked so hard for you yeah. know and that like we're you know the crew's a big old family and everybody needs to come and kind of enjoy the fruits of our labor
1: well and, and it's it. nothing like seeing the casting crew. Who have not seen it yet. I mean, mm-hmm. in most cases, maybe the cast has seen a little bit if they had mm-hmm. to ADR a scene, right? But for the most part, I mean, so they were to see the reactions on their faces, um, and and the whole crew cheering and you know, uh, the gasp. I mean, it was just as nice. you guys know because you saw it too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we did, it was awesome,
1: yeah.
3: It must be very satisfying though, yeah, to like in real time since you would be like someone who saw like the final product and then be able to see everyone else yeah. and know what's coming up.
1: <laughs> well, and then, and then he fed you too. I mean, that's true. Yeah. Taco truck one time. I think he, I saw yeah. 20 pizzas come yeah. in another time. I mean, I think for the premiere, I think the kids even did a, in the kitchen, they set them up and they even did a one of those live things where they were, they
0: were live tweeting it. Yeah.
1: Live tweeting it. Yeah.
0: So yeah. Cause I, when I was the, uh, when i was still the writer's assistant i would go over because the actors got there for the um for the east coast feed they would live tweet for the east coast feed so that was a couple hours before we uh before the party would start so i would go there and be setting up for the party and they're all in the kitchen and living room like like watching it on their computer like watching it on laptops the east coast feed and tweeting it out and then people would show up like an hour or so later for the party and we'd all watch it again yeah great times very cool Great times, Ed. When you're cutting a scene, what are you looking for to make it stand
1: out? Diversity of angles. I I, I usually like to start in tight. I like to start, which the our directors did this a lot. They would start on an object on a table and tilt up to their first line, or you know. So and then I like which their style happened to be the way I would cut a scene, even if they didn't do that, and then work our way out so the master these days is really just to show geography change you know and that's for the most part and that I stay in tight um as much as possible and then I also when you can I don't like especially when you have two actors talking back and forth to vary the angles uh try and go to a you know a a, you know a frontal you know a side angle shot where they're both in it or go to a profile single on both of them and go back and forth. And so, you know, if you have the coverage is to not go back to the same shot that you just came from. Try to go to a different angle. And sometimes that can't be done because of performance. You know, performance is key. So you have to cut for performance first, but you know, our actors were pretty good about when, you know, they got the performance down, it it carried through all the different angles. And just keeping the pace up. I mean, you know, just uh, you know, rapid, you know, fire dialogue when it's you know, uh, you know, comedy, and in comedy, it's waiting for you know the the pregnant pause. You know, so you know, like you know, Scott gasping at what Styles just said, or or even more so. Uh, a good example is Derek and Styles in the Jeep in I think it was 104. I think that was their first, what do they call it? The bromance
0: moment.
1: That's <laughs> uh, what the, whenever it was Derek Styles or Styles yeah. and, and uh, Scott. And it's it's sometimes it's that pause of the reaction from the act the character on what was just said. And that's where you sometimes get the biggest laugh is their reaction to what was just said, and that's where you got where where Styles aided up, or you know, with uh, Dylan O'Brien, he was great with that. You're not wrong.
2: That actually leads really well into our next question. We've heard from some people that we've interviewed that the only actors that Jeff really gave space to riff in a scene were Dylan O'Brien and Orney Adams. What was it like editing their comedic scenes?
3: You know,
1: they were allowed to go off, but Jeff always insisted that he wanted him to deliver the lines as read. A lot of the times they would start out the scene the correct way, and then they would say, hey, I have an alternate for this. Or sometimes in the middle, they would just do it. But by the end, you know, the script supervisor Katie would say, okay, now we need to get it the way Jeff wrote it. And so, as long as, you know, they gave it to us both ways, um, I don't think, yeah, Jeff, I thought, loved it when they went off.
3: Was there a particular character or duo that was your favorite uh, to edit their scenes?
1: Oh, probably, oh, Derek and um, Styles. You know, Scott and Styles were great too, but Derek and him just had a, a chemistry of, you know, the the comedy was mm-hmm. for them to was easy to cut. I mean, it was just yeah, great. I mean, I would think that's why I think we got the nickname uh, was it? It was bromance, right? where well, Derek or, or... Were both well both uh, of them, I I'm think. Not I don't know, sure. But I mean, they um yeah, I like liked cutting all the <laughs> to say at the guy scenes because they were always so funny together i mean you know i mean oh well the, a, a good one was when styles tattoo you tattoo 301, 301 yeah 301, 301, 301 you know when uh, styles says you know i may i may faint when he's getting the tattoo and you know then he faints <laughs> so it was just you know uh, yeah they're, they're, those things are priceless
3: Derek and Styles had a lot of really fantastic comedic scenes together. But then, yeah, there was a lot of Scott Styles too that yeah. just really fun to watch.
1: Did you prefer working on action scenes or romance scenes? Action. Yeah. It, action's always been. I mean, yeah, romance is great, but action all the way. I mean, and that's probably why I loved. Being on Teen Wolf because our actions so good. World class.
3: Guys, you've made lacrosse interesting to watch. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. People, I've heard people say that. Yeah, forget who it was. Yeah, that it's more violent than it's supposed to be. (laughs) And we made it that way. That's very funny. I mean, I never knew anything about lacrosse. So when I was getting the rushes in the dailies, I, yeah, I was like, I just cut it together. I didn't realize you're not allowed to uh, tackle. Body slam
3: people. Body slam.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I didn't realize you weren't allowed to. Do that. I mean,
3: what are the rules about backflipping in lacrosse?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So much uh, backflipping. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's uh, some good ones in, I think it was in the, well, season one where Scott yeah actually did a complete somersault over to get over a uh, past a guy. Yeah.
0: Do what you got to do is score those points.
1: Yeah.
2: You're credited for editing a total of 32 episodes of Teen Wolf. Do you have a favorite that you edited? And do you have one that you remember being particularly challenging?
1: You know, they're all, they're all challenging. I mean, not in a bad way, just Jeff would thrive for perfection on everything he did. And, you know, we, he wouldn't let a scene go until it was perfect. But so, and I, I can't say there's, it's a collaborative process. So it's really just, Getting it right, I, I don't, you know, they're all tough. I mean, I would say, as for my favorites, I mean, I would say I love doing any of the shows that were period pieces. You know, I have actually wrote them down. 401, uh, Dark Moon, which was in Mexico. That, I just, I love that. 518, Maids of uh, French, 1760, French-Indian War. You know, 605, Radio Silence, which was the and styles and in the train depot. I kind of liked anything that I guess wasn't in Beacon Hills, even though I love cutting Beacon Hills, (laughs) you know, 608. Blitzkrieg. Yeah, Blitzkrieg, Blitzkrieg, which was uh, Nazi Germany. You know, Joe did that one, Joe Janier. And then the finale, it was just, you know, just, well, go down as being my favorite because it was the last one so sorry i couldn't name one but you know with 32 you know and, yeah i mean i mean if you ask this question to you know some of the other editors i mean you know you it might be easier yeah
0: well it's being like which is your favorite child you know yeah I mean? and so, yeah. yeah so i was like well it's hard to answer that
3: several of our interviews people have talked about the limited budget on teen wolf did that ever affect the editing process
1: no no the Mentioned you know earlier that the budgets we always seemed to be able to get what we wanted. I mean that was what's great about Jeff is he you know if he felt like a scene that needed to be reshot it was reshot. I mean even Russell sometimes. I, Russell and Tim, I think, would, would realize the scene's not working and ask Jeff that they can reshoot it. There a lot of times we reshot scenes. So we were definitely a, a show of perfection. And if somebody did not like it, and the you know, ultimate call is Jeff's, if he didn't like something, it was reshot.
3: I think that perfection really comes through. To make a really polished product. Was there ever a scene or a take that you really wanted to use, but for whatever reason you weren't able to incorporate it?
1: Yeah, there were there were times where Jeff would say we need to delete this i can't i would usually hold uh, you know a, a one wild card per episode and i would so i rarely would you know it's his show i did what he wanted there were a couple times where i'm like jeff i really miss that and it, i think a couple times he gave it to me so that was nice cuz i you know really worked hard on that scene or i just really liked it and so you know he he listened to his editors too but uh,
0: i'm hoping that with amazon buying mgm Maybe we'll get like a nice deluxe Blu-ray set, you know, that just has like a yeah. lot of deleted scenes and concept art and stuff like that. Cause there's so much stuff. Like, cause I remember when the show, like whenever like the new DVD set would come out, it'd be like, this is kind of kind of scant on interesting things other than the show itself and like one or two commentaries. <laughs> Ed, were there any episodes that changed dramatically from editor's cut to final cut?
1: They all, they're all long. I mean, I I would say on an average, we probably ran, we're, I think eight to 10 minutes long Mm -hmm. on every show. And Jeff, you know, I've been on some CSI Miami, you know, the EP on that and Donahue would always say, I don't want to see something, you know, 10 minutes over, cut out what you think should be cut out and get it down to two minutes, you know, and Jeff, he always wants to see, he wants to see everything. So, you know, cut it as tight as possible, but, um, and then have a version in your back pocket or in another bin of what you think can be deleted. And so we would always have that to say, here's, here's our idea of dropping this scene or dropping this line. So we'd always have an alternate version of a scene uh, ready to show him. But uh, yeah, he, he liked to see, and did anything change? I mean, like it's a it's a collaborative effort. I would say, you know, so much. It's a show that changed through the collaboration. Yeah. You know?
3: With all that footage you talked about having, uh, how long did it actually take to edit an episode?
1: We took about three. Days, three days after we got our last day of dailies, we had to have an editor's cut. And then we'd worked with the director for, I believe, four days. And then it became, you know, Jeff's. And Jeff really could, if we didn't have an air date, he could take as long as he wanted. Again, like I said, he was sometimes juggling many hats. So we could probably do a pass and get it to the network. And then while we're waiting, you know, the network usually... I think had two days to give us their notes. Um, But during those two days, he could jump into with another editor and start working on another cut. I don't know, the whole, it's hard to say what the whole process was time-wise on this because we seem to have, they seem to finish everything. And it really helped when we broke up the seasons. I think four and five, Will, were A and Bs.
0: Three is 3A, 3B, four is only 12 episodes, and then five and six are broken up into pieces. Yeah, yeah.
1: so it it made it great. What was great about the was that there was a break in production, but I don't think we stopped because during the hiatus, we were working with Jeff to lock A. And then, you know, and then we rolled on. I think think in six, I may have had between A and B, I may have had a week or two off. And then, um, but yeah, so that's kind of the process.
2: Did you typically get a lot of edits from MTV? I don't think
1: we did. I mean, they really liked the show. I think as time went by, they really trusted Jeff. And I don't think we were getting that many notes. I think they really trusted. I mean, he, he, made, he made the thing a hit. I mean, we were a hit, I think, after season one. So I really do think they trusted his judgment well ed are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about oh this one i've been toying with because um i had to ask uh, i'm well i'm finishing up an apple tv plus show right now um but it's they're n- not sure about the title yet so i can't mention the title okay it will be finishing up probably in the next three weeks and then uh i go on to a, a disney plus show that one i've been told um i I could mention but it's for the same associate producer and so he's leaving it up to my discretion so i think i'm gonna not mention it (laughs) because but uh and that should keep me busy till the end of the year and then i hope jeff gets something going by then
0: yeah me too the disney show i mean you don't have to give specifics was it part of a certain cinematic universe or
1: it'll be uh is it far young, far away uh <laughs> young young adult genre okay uh comic book nice. um yeah it's nice. com- comic book base
0: such a joy thank you for yeah, thank, coming thank on you. and
1: talking to us
3: yeah, yeah, you guys thank made you it. so much We'll stock your IMD page for those announcements about the new show so we can watch yes. those. <laughs> okay. Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Ed. And yes, we you. hope uh, you have a great rest of your evening.
1: Okay. You guys too.
0: All right. We'll talk to you okay. soon, okay? Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks.
3: Bye. Bye. All right, Wolfies. That wraps up the beta section for the tell. And now we're about to dive into spoilers not just for the episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move the muscle. Here comes the Alpha.
2: No. We're predators.
1: You don't have to be killers.
3: first season about Styles ADHD and a little bit in the second but I feel like after that it's mostly dropped what do you guys think
0: I don't remember it past this honestly when I was rewatching this I was like oh is that that's right this was a thing
3: yeah I feel like it's mentioned once or twice maybe in the second season but it's pretty much just to focus uh in the first it, season. well it, in the second one definitely because of the party guest I whatever, was just going to bring yeah, that, that active uh, little bastard
2: that was really crushing
3: it was to me tough
2: but yes, that that it definitely came up there, and then I feel like isn't isn't there something some situation where Derek calls him a hyperactive spaz?
3: Oh, that's true. That one's a three B because I think it's negitene.
2: I feel like I I like to think that the werewolves can like when they hear his heartbeat, it just sounds like like a hummingbird's. It's just like a hum. It's like <laughs> that's what his heart sounds like. Yeah, that's also
3: my head cannon.
2: After rewatching the Tell. I looked up the actress who played Miss Ramsey, and she's credited for Wolfsbane after this, and that's it. We never see her again. That's upsetting. I just feel like we should have had more of her. I just, I don't know, I guess rewatching these scenes, I was just like, she's fantastic, and I feel like she's almost like the straight man, so to speak, against the various parents <laughs> Both of you know Lydia's mom and dad, Jackson's mom and dad, and she's just sitting here being like, Oh, and uh, Allison's, she she talks yeah, right. to Allison's as well. She intimates that Allison wasn't in class, right? And Allison's parents are like, What? She's she wasn't in class, and Ms. Rams is like, Oh, she wasn't in school. And you could tell that she was just ready for them to ask for clarification and she was ready to come <laughs> yeah. back with that. It was just so perfect. And I just, was- I felt like, you know, we get more of Coach Finstock, who is hilarious and not a good teacher. He's in fact a very bad teacher. Yes. And we get Harris, who I, I don't know what his mastery of the subject matter is, because all we really find out about it is that he knows how to start a chemical fire that kills nearly a dozen people. That's all it takes um, to be a teacher. <laughs> but I can confirm that he's definitely not good at the extracurricular aspects of being a teacher, like as we see in Heart Monitor, knowing what to punish and what not to punish getting beat up, not a punishable offense.
0: Yeah, that scene, I still like that scene where I still like the way Styles sets it up and all this. I, I love that bit. But then it gets to Harris being like, you two are now in detention for being victims yeah, or something. It, and it was like, it's, it, it's
2: crazy town. So I feel like this is the first teacher <laughs> we've seen where we get any amount of time with them and they seem competent at their job.
0: You mentioned her being a straight man. I was like, I would love to have seen her in a scene with Coach Finstock.
2: Oh, right? Oh like, my God. If she were like, if they did like peer evaluations. Right. And she's like in the back of Finstock's class. <laughs> like maybe in in Heart Monitor when he's berating Scott, it, the camera just pans back and she's sitting there just-
0: Like writing notes.
2: With her jaw is just like open. She's just like, how? How did you get this job? How do you continue to have this job? I have more questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. That's what that i w- That would have been fun. We can unfortunately we don't get much. We don't get anything else from her. I think we do I think she doesn't even have lines in the next episode, right?
3: Uh, it says she chastises Scott for uh talking or trying to talk to Allison during the class. In Wolfsbane? In Wolfsbane. Okay. Oh I mean, I'm going right. off of the wiki. So.
0: Okay. Got it. And still, we, we don't know. get anything else with her unfortunately she i feel like we we might have missed something yeah with her on this show having her be there but
2: that's my that's my take we needed more of ms ramsey
3: that would have been fun going to back to what we were talking about in the beta section we see the file on coach's desk that leads us to think that style's first name is Jenum. i think is is that how you think that'd be pronounced I have no idea. I guess, yeah. It, I think
2: what happened is we had some CSI fandom going on and people <laughs> people paused at the right moment and then went, enhance! And then they zoomed <laughs> in and zoomed in and zoomed in. And the closest approximation to letters that fandom could discern on that file showed something that started with G and then had an N in there and ended with an IM.
3: So fans had as G am, which Googling, it says that it means genius minded, which does work for styles. But yeah. um, so I guess the Polish meaning is actually just wheat. And <laughs> is what? Wheat. Oh, and I guess is, it's actually okay. pronounced more like denim. Okay. Thinium. But anyway. Wheat um, is also tall
0: and gangly. Thinium,
3: uh, uh-huh. Whenever I looked at it, I saw G-I-E-N-I-M. So I just wonder if like people are just trying to make the most logical guess out of it. Being spelled like that. Like, that's the closest thing they could find to it actually being a name. But yeah, if you actually look at it, it looks like it, you can see an I E and I M. Yeah. But yeah, but that's not his real name at all. Nope. It is not. Will, would you like to reveal his real name?
0: I don't remember what it is.
3: <laughs> I believe it's, it it's, starts with
0: an S. No, it doesn't.
3: Oh, it doesn't. It oh, starts with an I M. It still...
0: starts
2: with an M. I think it's, it's oh, Mieszislav.
0: There it is. Mieszislav.
2: Yeah. Mieszislav.
0: Something That's like
2: something. that, yeah. <laughs> Starting with an S. I thought I, I thought I styles? remember. You well,
0: no, because, because I know. thought I remember because when you mentioned his ID, I thought it said S. Period, stalinsky that, that was, yeah, and I clearly <laughs> forgot that. So
2: it was the whole thing where he couldn't pronounce it when he was little, so he said mischief. Right,
0: oh, I, I remember that. that.
2: Which is cute, but also I don't think that small children can say mischief either. <laughs>
0: Just go with the gag. I agree
3: 100%. So we see Styles investigating in this episode, and I feel like Styles is definitely the one who pieced together what happened between Kate and Derek with his own research. In 3A, we find out that he does know what happened between Kate and Derek, at least to some degree, because he says... Uh, <laughs>
2: Willow so- says, redacted. It's very rude.
3: <laughs> we don't re traumatize people. He says that it's the second mass murder that Derek has stated, or something yeah. to that effect, when refer- talking about uh-huh. Jennifer Blake. So I feel like Styles definitely figured out what happened to Kate and Derek. I could definitely see him finding old records from when she previously lived in Beacon Hills and finding connection. So in On Fire, Kate was the lifeguard at the Beacon Hills High School pool that Derek used to go to. So I definitely could see like Styles going through like old yearbooks and like maybe finding a picture of them together or talking to people there at the school. Definitely like putting the pieces together. And I really wanted to see more of that though. I wanted him to find out what really happened that led to the hailfire and his reaction to it instead of just getting it in really a throwaway line. Yeah. A couple seasons later.
2: A horrible throwaway line a horrible, that I'm not Very over. mean. I was so upset. Because first of all, how did he even find out if not through research? And if he did find out through research, why would this be the first time we know that. Right. Like, w- how does it make sense that he put that together and then just doesn't feel like it warrants any action or conversation on anyone's part until 3A where he's just like, you know what? This is the time. This is the time to bring up that conclusion that I drew. Yeah.
3: I feel like if there was an off-screen relationship between Styles and Derek that went very sour and we only have the pieces of it, like, on screen of, like, yeah, Styles trying to deflect a lot with the whole, like, oh, yeah, I still feel like Derek's probably a murderer and I want him dead. And, yeah, throwing out these pieces about Derek that he shouldn't know, but he does know.
2: Happy now so, you're saying that this is basically that episode of Community where Abed delivers a baby in the background and the baby is Steric.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <That's> baby <Derek. laughs>
2: That's what you're saying, right? Yes. I this don't... Is... <laughs> foresee Derek doing anything serious with a teenager.
3: I didn't say it had to be like like a sexual relationship. Oh, okay. Like it could have been something, them getting closer. Derek said no. And then Styles got very upset about it. And that's what led to sour feelings between him and Sour Wolf. I can see that. Brought it back.
0: It'd be interesting if they'd had on... Teen Wolf, like that relationship, but it's always just in lines, like throwaway lines, like that sort of running gag on Veep, where Gary Cole's character was dating the secretary. Oh
3: my god! But it's that's only, right. but it's
0: only in throwaway lines, and everyone's like, "What? What? Yes. When you, yeah, you know? That, if that was how they did it, and you never saw it. It's, it's like they begin have an ender whole relationship off camera over like the course of seasons and you have no idea that it's happening except these little lines sprinkled throughout the show
2: that's pretty much how fans treated Derek and Styles on Teen Wolf as
3: it is oh okay I well, feel like there's evidence for it like you know that Styles and Derek are a lot closer than they should be and Dials and Derek both they don't want Scott to know that but it ended like whatever they had and not necessarily like an actual sexual relationship, but it just ended very poorly. But there's still some lingering feelings there, and we get yeah. like you know Styles putting his hand on Styles putting his hand on Derek's shoulder whenever Boyd dies.
2: And even before that, there's the there's the scene where you know he's making fun of Derek's idea that he can punch through a wall, mm-hmm. and he has him like hold up his fist, and he grabs it, and Derek is kind of, like, amused and doesn't say anything. Whereas, like, way back in season one, as we see in Wolfsbane, when he, like, just tries to touch Derek, Derek's like, um, who told you you could touch me? No. No touchies. Have- but something happens in between there, but we don't really see it.
3: Yeah. We get Derek warning styles not to play with the whole defibrillator.
0: Oh, defibrillator. Oh, right. yeah. yeah.
3: That he'll hurt himself if he doesn't know how to use them. Mm -hmm. And the moment whenever Styles is basically asking Derek to choose him over Jennifer to help him save his father. I feel like this is a very emotional scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just feel like there's evidence that could be that they are closer than from what we see from them on the show that they would be.
2: Yeah. There's also in that same episode at the hospital, Styles goes back to get Derek because he's like passed out or something. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know what Scott was doing. We kind of, we do kind of get these little connecting pieces, but we don't get, we get the dots. We don't get the lines between the dots. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The connective tissue, as Will would say.
0: There you go. Gotta have that connective tissue.
3: I would have loved to have seen Peter come into the conference with Harris as the male authority figure in Scott's life. Or Derek. Either way, I feel like hilarity would just ensue from that. I yes. think
0: Peter would be hilarious. Just waltzing Derek would just be
3: He wouldn't even sit down. He'd just be standing there with his arms crossed over his chest. Yes. Yeah. That's because his... he tried even doing anything with him. You can't do anything with Scott.
0: To lose <laughs> yeah. the I've yeah. tried hard enough. I'm an authority figure. Don't you know? He's like, are you really? He just undoes one more button on his v-neck. It's like, yes. i going to rip it open a little bit. And then Mr. Harris is like, that doesn't work with me.
2: Keep it in your pants, Will. <laughs> <laughs> when we were talking about Jackson's parent-teacher conference and the scene of him drinking and trying to perfect this lacrosse shot, mm-hmm. I was thinking about the Canima in season two and how, I mean, Derek says that sometimes the form you take reflects the person you are. Yeah. And so there's a little bit, I think, of Jackson is not a werewolf because he's such an asshole that he's a were-lizard. Mm-hmm. But... With the whole, the Canima seeks a master.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's where we get more of that sense of that, that the Canima doesn't have a sense of identity itself and has to look to external sources. I like that. For its identity. And in Party Guest, that that's the implication there too, is his fear is that he is no one. Yeah. Right? And so I feel like this storyline or this, piece of character development that we have in the tell is sort of the first step toward his storyline as the Canima.
0: That's cool. I, like that. I never made that connection. That's, that's really cool.
3: I love that episode. That's such a good episode.
2: And we see, we see Allison as normal teenage girl versus Allison as Hunter, <sighs> which goes back to what we were talking about with Barbara and the duality of Allison's character
3: it's very it is, good. It is I'm good. very excited to get to that episode.
2: And I feel like Party Guest is sort of a part one where Motel California is part two, mm. because both of those ep- episodes are organized around the characters hallucinating some of their worst fears. Right. And both times it's Wolfsbane that, that does it, the kryptonite of Beacon Hills. Before we go, we'd like to spotlight an Etsy store called Amelia's Little Store. Teen Wolf has changed Amelia's life. She saw the series last year thanks to her friend Serena and fell in love with it. The two of them love talking Teen Wolf, like my fellow podcasters and myself. Amelia also bought merch, but there wasn't enough. So she started creating stickers for herself. After discovering the sticker market on Etsy, she wanted to participate and share her stickers with others. I can verify they are super cute and fun. If you'd like to snag some for yourselves, Wolfies, we've got a coupon code for you. Use the coupon code RTBH Packmate, all caps, all one word, and save 15% on all Teen Wolf items at Amelia's little store. We'll include the details in the show notes of your podcast app of choice. And that concludes
3: this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast, as well as on Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to beaconhills at gmail.com. And don't forget to find us at patreon.com/slash rtbh podcast for more awesome exclusives. Join us here next week for our look at season one, episode six, Heart Monitor, and our fabulous talk with writer, editor, Alyssa Clark. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fitness. Five stars fits a shout out. Have a great week and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.